Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh, he broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. You're a New York sports talk and a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I've got a good show for you this week. We're talking New York Yankees baseball. It's in a big week for the Yankees. Matches with the Rays and the Red Sox at the stadium. we joined by Dan Federico, Bronx of Bushville, friend of the podcast, covers the Yankees. Talk about what's going on with them. And they're in a very interesting spot this year because you look at the AL East. It's a tough division. Four teams, legitimately at playoff hopes. Yankees been inconsistent. Pitching's been good. Offense, not so much. Talk to Dan about all that stuff in just a bit. Make sure you're locked into the end of the show for the return of the Sky Guys. Pete Considore and Nick Friar will be on the horn. We're going to break down Season 5 of Star Wars, The Clone Wars. Probably my favorite season so far. We're going to dive into all of that at the end of the podcast. But we'll get it all started with our opening tip, where we're going to talk about what's going on with the Brooklyn Nets. They get ready to begin the second round of the playoffs against the Milwaukee Bucks right after this. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time. Talking Nets, Bucks, and the Nets did what they had to do. The Knicks, obviously, we talked about, they were done. They got eliminated in five games. The Nets took care of business. They marched on. They took out the Celtics in five games. The gentlemen sweep. Jason Tatum had his moment. He got a huge game three. Celtics got the win there. Brooklyn simply had way too much firepower. Whether it was James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Joe Harris draining threes. There was way too much for the Celtics to deal with. That was the easy part. You knew they were going to win this series. It's going to be four or five. They took five. That's fine. Now the real work begins. Starting with the second round series against the Bucs, which right now could be a preview of the NBA, of the Eastern Conference Finals, whoever gets out of this, because there's a big issue floating out the Sixers. We'll get to in a minute, but these teams are in very interesting situations. They had a series late in the regular season. The Bucks won two in a row, one in Brooklyn, one in Milwaukee. The Nets did not have James Harden for those games, which I think is a big difference. And it'll be interesting to see the impact of James Harden. Again, game one on Saturday night, 7.30. This podcast will be in your years after game one, so... Just keep that in mind. Still a long series. I think it's going to be a very long series. I had Alex Schiffer from Athletic on a couple weeks ago. We were talking about the Nets. And we talked about the potential of a Nets-Bucks series. I wanted to give Alex his takes again here in case you missed the episode. This is what Alex had to say about a Nets-Bucks potential matchup. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? I mean, I think there's there's a lot, not a lot. Now, you know, I think James Harden's presence was missed so much in those games. His ability to manipulate the floor and... um and pick apart defenses. I mean, I think that really could have served the Nets well, especially with the defense Drew Holiday was playing on Kyrie. You know, Giannis and KD were having some good battles there. So I think that he could have really, and I mean, Joe Harris was, it was tough for him to get free in those series. I think in those games, excuse me, it's like a mini series. He, um, I think that Harden could really change some of the, the dynamics of that series, just given his, his basketball mind. Um, I, I think, you know, glass half full, half empty. I mean, half full, you know, they those were games, as you said, without Harden, which you look at the way they're playing right now, and he's been one of their best defenders statistically in the postseason through two games. I mean, that can really go somewhere against Milwaukee. 
but also as you said i mean you know they milwaukee's kind of built to stop them with their length and their um you know they have a guy like pj tucker off the bench they can just throw on kd and not really miss much defensively where the nets don't really have a guy like that as we've kind of discussed so i um i, I think it's going to be a that's going to be a really hard series and um and you know there, there's some stuff to take especially with the way they guarded Giannis too right they dared him to shoot jumpers and it worked but is that quantifiable through a seven game series when you look at him being a 30 percent three-point shooter through the season and you know him shooting way above his averages against the nets i mean it, it's going to be interesting to kind of see what worked in those mini series for the nets and if they if they knew what they were talking about and they come to work in a series or they have to make significant adjustments and it turns out that they you know they, they had the wrong idea the whole time with some of that all right, a couple of key things to take away from that is, number one, obviously, the James Harden fact we mentioned. It. James Harden, playmaker for them, has basically been their best point guard option this season, and he's played good defense. Having him back in the series will help. The, the couple of things here with them. Obviously, Alex mentioned the, the Bucks' length, and the length that Milwaukee has on defensive end can be a big challenge to the Nets. I think that's going to be a very, very interesting match to see how Brooklyn deals with the length, technically as these shots get contested more often than they did in the Boston series. The key, the Nets, can they take away the three from Milwaukee? Another thing I think is interesting here because there were some games in the first round series, the Bucks swept the Heat. They had some really good shooting performances and being on the arc. They have some guys who can knock down those threes, whether it's Chris Middleton, Bryn Forbes, had a big roll off the bench. Drew Holiday can knock down his shots. If the, the Bucks get hot from the perimeter, they can make the series very difficult for Brooklyn. As I was also mentioned, who guards Giannis? Kevin Durant, you think, would draw these high most of the time, and he is probably their best defender when he's healthy. But again, we don't know how he's going to fare in an intense seven-game potential playoff series guarding heavy minutes against Giannis with the the offensive burdens expected to carry. There's also a ton of pressure on both of these teams. The Bucs, with with Giannis at the Kumbo, they have to find a way to get through the series. There is a lot of pressure on that team. They choked in the playoffs last year in the bubble. They fell apart in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Raptors two years ago. This is a team, especially for Mike Boonholzer, who has to find a way to win this series and get to the Conference Finals again. And the Bucks, I think they're uniquely constructed to give the Nets a challenge. Brooklyn also is still favoring this series. They're going to have home court advantage. It'll be huge. But at the same time, this is a team where they are going to get challenged defensively in a way they're probably not going to go into for a while. Brooklyn has... A lot of shooters, a lot of athleticism. So are the Bucks. That's why I think this is probably the toughest draw they have so far. I think this is going to be a lengthy series. I think it is going to the full seven. I'm clicking the Nets to win just because they have a little bit more firepower than Milwaukee does. If Milwaukee, though, can bog them down defensively, if the Nets have trouble stopping Giannis, if the Bucks hit the threes, the upset's in play here. The Bucks have a puncher's chance to get through the series. Would I be betting on it? Probably not, but... You can't rule it out. Unlike Boston, where you can say, okay, it's a matter of four or five, name the number, it's going to be happening. There are worlds here where the Bucs win this series. I think this sets up a fascinating scenario because whoever gets through here is dealing with the Tyler Sixers who are dealing with an injury, Joel Embiid, who's playing on a torn meniscus. He sat out the final game of their first-round series against the Wizards, and he wins that game. The way you look at it is, you know, if Embiid is not 100%, it's going to be hard for them to beat either of these teams. So you're sitting there in Milwaukee or in Brooklyn. You're saying, if we get through this series, we have a great shot to get to the NBA Finals. And I don't think the Hawks are going to get the Sixers an issue. I know Trey Young torched the Knicks, but 
Philadelphia has much more dynamic guards. They'll be able to attack Trey Young on defense. They will have more playmakers going on here. I think they're going to win that series in probably six games. That's my call on that one. But expecting a Nets Sixers conference finals. It'll be fun. But up next, we're going to talk to Dan Federico about the New York Yankees season right after this. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast talking New York Yankees baseball. Very interesting time of the season for the Yankees. Joining me today, somebody who covers the Yankees for Bronx to Bushville, friend of the podcast, Dan Federico is back. Dan, how are you? Hey, Mike, what's going on? Thanks for having me back on. Not a problem. I have to say, as you know, I'm a Met fan, so I've been a little bit more absorbed in the Met side of things right now, but I've been keeping on the Yankees in the standings. If you were to saw the Yankees like, season right now, what do you say the story of the year is at this point? I mean, there's only one. I'm, I was going to go offense right away, going negative, but at the same time, it's crazy because you, usually when you talk Yankees, it's always they're going to outscore you any day of the week. It's a pitching you got to worry about. But now this year, it's been the complete reverse. I mean, the pitching staff has kept them in these games all year long. Um, you know, besides injuries, you know, Tyon has, has had his ups and downs, but by and large, it's been a solid, solid, strong rotation. Um, bullpen as well has been doing their job. So I think the main issue is how this offense is just completely struggling and, and, and where those issues are coming from. Yeah, I mean, we're recording on Thursday for the series finale against the Rays. They won the last two games, but as you said, the offense has just been non-existent. They've been scoring three runs, four runs, two runs, and it's like, with a group, I know they had their injuries with Luke Voigt and Aaron Hicks, but like at the same time, a lot of guys in the line just not hitting. Yeah, I mean, you, you look up and down the lineup, how many guys are batting below 200? Um, I know people want to say it's, it's a ball issue where, you know, they, they've They've come back on the juice balls and now they're dead balls. But every team is going through that. Um, and that's something where you have to look a little deeper. And you see that it may be a philosophical issue. I mean, we know the Yankees build their team power, power, power. And when those balls aren't as juiced as they were or, you know, whatever the case may be, um, you're going to see this all or nothing type um, type of offense. That's exactly what's happening right now. I mean, nobody's really hitting for power there. The, the, the team is not, you know, it doesn't look like how it used to. Um, so, and again, you know, that, that's what happens when you go after these guys who are really all or nothing and you base your lineup on people that aren't getting base hits and doing situational baseball. It's more of they're either hitting the home run or striking out. So that's kind of the result you're seeing now. Yeah. It's also, I feel like the, the dead ball theory, I feel like it's exacerbates the, the sort of lack of speed this team has. Whereas like if these balls not going out of the park, they're having a hard time turning like singles into double and stuff like that. It's also not helping the offense. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest issues with the offense as a whole is just athleticism. I mean, they don't have somebody, like you said, who's going to go out there, steal a bag, kind of make something happen on the base pass, especially when you're struggling. You need somebody like that. So they have a lot of these guys um, that, that are just big, strong, you know, you think could get it out of the ballpark whenever they want, even though it's not looking like that this year. Um, but yeah, I, I think a big issue that I've been harping on for a little while is this athleticism. Um, you know, they have a lot of guys that fit the same mold. And unfortunately, it's not speed. It's not somebody who can wreck havoc on the base pass. And that's something they do need. Yeah, I think the one guy that doesn't fit that mold is DJ LeMayhew. And they gave him the big contract. And he's just not hitting the same way he does here. Like, at what point do the Yankee fans have, like, this concern that DJ is sort of taking a step back? That's a big issue with this offense. Yeah, I mean, he seems to be bulletproof almost because, you know, Stanton's getting booed the day after he hits three home runs and he strikes out three uh, three times the next day. He's going to get booed out of the stadium. Same with Gary Sanchez. Same for a lot of these guys. But, I mean, you see DJ struggling mightily this year. 
Um, yes, he's earned his keep with the Yankees. Um, you know, the, the length of the contract was necessary to keep the dollars down. I don't think anybody had a problem with them bringing DJ back. So it's hard to look and, and speak in hindsight. But, I mean, yeah, his struggles have really highlighted this team. Um, it's something that you don't expect, especially based off what he's done with the Yankees and even with the Rockies. So um, when you see the struggles he has, um, it, it really compounds the issues that are going on as a whole. I mean, a lot of times he was the engine for this offense, despite you know not being that big home run hitter. Um, his struggles have really been highlighted. And when the Yankees fans are going to turn on him, I don't know. Um, like I said, he's earned his keep. Um, and rightfully so. I mean, he's done a great job in his first two years with the Yankees. But, yeah, his issues are something that's of, of a surprise and are a big reason why they're struggling. Yeah, for sure. And I think also something I think is interesting with them is I know, as speaking of the Spears of the Mets, is like they've had their share of injuries too. But, like, I feel like they made up for it. They both have pitching well, but the Mets seem like are playing a better defensive brand of ball than the Yankees. I feel like the defense directly, I think, mostly lies at shortstop with Labor Torres. And I feel like, Sometimes he takes his defensive struggles into the, at, at the plate with him, and it doesn't help. And it makes you wonder with them. You think long term, maybe you know if you get Glaber more confident defensively, he gets better on offense. Yeah, I, I think there's a, a clear correlation between the two. Same with somebody like Gary Sanchez. I feel like when he's behind the plate doing a good job, it reflects in the batter's box. But speaking of Torres, I mean, I know in the beginning of the season his struggles were highlighted, but I did think that you know it was Jay Bruce at first base that didn't really help not having a confident first baseman and when they brought Mike Ford back and you know they have some of these guys playing first base there were um, better results but there are still struggles either way on defense by Gleyber Torres um, I, I, I'm not as down on him as some people at shortstop and I get why the Yankees want to give him pretty much every chance they can at that position he's still a very young player still extremely talented but I thought he was really good at second base and I know bringing in DJ LeMahieu kind of you know, ch- change that, especially how well he performed over the first two years. They kind of first thought he would be a plug-and-play guy and, you know, come off the bench, but turn into, you know, an all-star caliber player. So they're, they're going to try their best to to keep Torres at shortstop. I, I don't think it's going to change this year, despite the fact that many people may want that. I, I could see the off season where, you know, there are a lot of names on the free agent market, a lot of big-time shortstops. You know, you kind of see where you can move uh, Torres around the infield. I know he has experience at third base as well in the minor leagues. Um, like I said, I did like him at second base the most. He seemed most comfortable. Um, but yeah, that's what happens when, when somebody struggles on defense and gets in their head, could reflect on offense. Now, he is starting to pick his offensive game up. And at the same time, you know, by and large, he, he's been adequate at shortstop for most of the season. So, um, I, you know, the reflection is there. But um, as a long-term solution, I, I don't know, man. It's going to be an interesting question coming this offseason. It certainly is. I also think another thing that's interesting with this team is also the pitching you mentioned has been great. Garrett Cole, I mean, he's had a little bit of the Jacob DeGrom syndrome where he's pitching brilliantly. The Yankees just haven't found ways to win some of these starts. I mean, what are you seeing out of Cole so far this year? Yeah, I mean, Cole is literally the exact pitcher that the Yankees signed a couple of years ago. He has been performing extremely well. Um, it's It's been, you know, that this is exactly what they expected out of him when he was signed to that big money contract. So, at this point in the game, I mean, th- this is what you expect from him week in, week out, um, just to be that ace caliber pitcher, that Jacob DeGrom, like you said. And it's been reflecting. I mean, yeah, the Yankees offense hasn't been getting the runs that they thought, but at the same time, he's been, you know, the ace that they wanted. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's been great. And obviously the question going into the year, and it's one that I was concerned about, is like, what do they have behind him in the pitching? And losing Corey Kluber hurts, but like, they've gotten some good performances from some guys, has some inconsistency. What do you think about the rotation depth beyond... Uh, Garrett Cole right now while Kluber recovers from his injury. 
Yeah, so you know, Kluber, it's going to be a while before he recovers. Um, you know, he he it came out some good news this morning that it may not be as long as as they expected, but at the same time, you know, he hasn't pitched in almost two years really before this year. He pitched one inning last year, so so that recovery was going to be long regardless. Um, same with Tyon. I mean, you, if you really think about it, Tyon and Kluber would both be probably in the minor leagues if it was regular season, no COVID or anything like that, you know, trying to rebuild themselves up. But besides them, one person that's really stood out to me, obviously, has been Jordan Montgomery, a great start last night. He's had big performances against strong lineups. Um, you know, he's not somebody who, I, you know, I don't think you could really pencil in as a number two or anything, but right now he's pitching like a number two, and that's all the Yankees could ask for. And at the same time, Domingo Herman, you know, despite his off-field issues, we won't go there, but, you know, he's pitched well in that fifth role as well. So, I mean, by and large, like I said in the beginning, pitching has been good. Um, they're probably going to still need to look for some help, I'm guessing, unless they want to go back to Davey Garcia, unless they feel Luis Severino's going to rehab you know, well and come back over the summer, um, and, and hopefully Kluber as well. So I think as of now, though, you, you, could, you can't be anything but uh, pleasantly surprised and happy with what the rotation has done so far this year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is a team that I think they're in a spot where you said, like, obviously pitching might be a need. They're going to have needs on offense. If you were to pick one spot and say, I need to get an upgrade here, where would you go get the upgrade? I think the upgrade has to come in center field. Um, you know, there are some holes you could say first base. Um, you could, you know, pick uh, left field as well with uh, Clint Fraser, even though he's starting to turn around a little bit. But I just don't think you could rely on Brett Gardner, 37 years old, to play every single game in center field. And then, as you saw in the game yesterday, like you said, we're recording Thursday morning, uh, Aaron Judge started in center field yesterday. I don't think that's something that the Yankees want to do uh, anywhere near even a part-time basis. So I think center field is where the upgrade is. Hicks is done for the year. Um, You have somebody in Florial in the minor leagues on the 40-man roster that you could call up. Now, I understand, again, everybody brings up he doesn't have – you know, experience really at AAA. He's just getting his feet wet. Um, again, the lost season last year was big for him as well. But, I mean, he's talented. He's a guy, like we were talking about before, could get something done on the base pass. He's a great defender in center field. I mean, those are things that he's ready to do now. And I understand, you know, you want to get his bat matured in AAA. But um, he's somebody I would look to. And then, of course, you know, there's going to be trades happening. It's, it's early now. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of the, the trade market hasn't really developed as much as people would like to hear. But, I mean, there are options that are going to be out there. And I think center field is going to be the way to go. Yeah, I think Floreal is worth a shot. I mean, it kind of reminds me similar to what happened in 05 when they brought Robinson Cano up and the, like, when they were struggling early on the season. Nobody thought Cano was ready, and all of a sudden he came in, he stuck, and he became a big part of that playoff team. So you want to make Floreal yeah. that kind of impact with them. Yep, and I feel the same exact way. I was thinking about the same person, Robinson Cano, left-handed guy from the Dominican Republic. You know, I don't want to say they're exactly profiled the same because that's not the case, but it could be a spark plug. And, and that's the thing. He is... Florial is a player that brings dimensions that the Yankees really just don't have right now. And he could be an exciting player, again, on the base pass, in center field, on the defensive end. Um, you know, left-handed bat, he has some power. I mean, he has some raw power that he hasn't really unleashed yet. I mean, he's shown flashes over in the minors, and we all know that he could take advantage of right field in Yankee Stadium. So, again, I understand the point where he, hasn't, he doesn't have much experience in AAA at all. I mean, he's really getting his first taste these last few weeks, but... Uh, he's somebody who I think you should definitely keep an eye on. Um, and, you know, the Yankees, they're not one to give up really that much in a trade. Cashman, you know, he's conservative with a lot of these things. So, Florial could be the move eventually. I think he could be. I also think the thing to watch them is, like, in terms of a trade, it's like they made very hard to make sure they did not go over that luxury tax last winter. And they did all sorts of moves. They 
dumped Avino's salary to get salary relief basically to the Red Sox. They had a lot of moves where they tried to stay under the luxury tax. Do you think this is going to impact them when they try and make a move next month for the deadline? Because this is one where I don't know how much salary they can really take on without paying the tax. Yeah, I mean, it. it I. It's always hard to to predict, right? Because you know things change as the years go on. We don't. I mean, as the months go on, we don't know what the Yankee situation is going to be in a couple months as the trade deadline gets close. But by all signs of what's happened in the past, and even we've seen this winter, like you said, the salary dump about it. You know, I would just assume that they're going to stick with just you know being on the conservative end spending wise, and you know cutting corners where they can and even a marginal upgrade they may see is just something that's better than nothing. So I, that's why I can't really expect anything big, at least money-wise, uh, happening this year. That's what would be frustrating for a Yankee fan because like, there's a guy out there, you're like a perfect fit for them right now in Trevor Story, who makes, makes a ton of money, face shortstop, you can boost your defense, put Glaber at second right now, and then create opportunities there. But they feel like that's something not going to do is because he's going to make too much money. Yeah, I see, the thing with Story, my only – Thing and I understand he's extremely talented would be an obvious upgrade. The only thing when I think about the Yankees and what they see in things, why would they spend you know a trade package where it's going to take even though he's in a walk year, it's going to take a lot to get him from the Rockies. I could see Brian Cashman just saying, why would I trade for somebody like that when we could just sign him in the off season and we believe our offense is good as it is now. You know, people may not agree with that, especially with the way the offense is performing. But when I think of these situations, I try and, you know, think in the shoes of the Yankees as much as I can. And I could just see them being, why would we spend this trade package with prospects now when we could get him for only dollars in the offseason? So when it comes to story, that's something I always keep in mind. Yeah, it's certainly a fair point. I can see the organizational view on this. And I think the fan view is sort of frustration saying, hey, we are close to winning. Like, this is a division we need help. The offense can't do anything. And, we're not going to go get the best guy possible because we're going to stay under the tax and knock you up like prospects who may not even have roles for us down the line. That's something I see the Yankee fan having frustration with. Oh, and it's understandable. It's completely understandable. And it's something that a lot of fans don't want to hear. Now, I, I wrote not too long ago about, you know, how is Brian Cashman really a prospect hugger? Um, you know, he, he has made some moves in the past that kind of go against that. But at the same time, there's this clear upgrade. And I just don't think they're going to go for it simply because of, you know, what it would cost. Maybe, you know, Cashman thinks, oh, if we trade these prospects to Colorado, maybe we hold on to them. We could use them in another package and sign Trevor Story in the offseason. Now, it's not good to look ahead that far, especially now, because it's you want to win every year. So it's kind of tough to say, oh, we'll just wait till next year to sign him or, you know, we could do something down the road. We're not worried about it this year. So I, I know it's frustrating and it sucks to hear. But when you just look at the tea leaves, look at the signs just from years past, following the team for so long it's just pretty clear that i don't think it would happen yeah that's the thing is interesting considering like how like obviously the change in the steinbrenners from george to to like how to how running the team because you look at the situation there i mean george always is like we want to win every year we want to do everything we can and the yankees have given cash in a lot more rope i mean they didn't go to the world series the last decade for the first time since the 1920s since 1910 since they weren't even the yankees at that point so you feel like the patience there is just something it's not yankees is not used to yeah, I, I think it's really because Cashman does what Hal Steinbrenner wants him to do. And I think it's more important to have the bottom dollar, you know, in line instead of what's going on on the field. And people don't like to hear that, but that's just kind of what it is. I don't think, you know, I think Cashman's just following what he's told to do. He does, you know, by and large, I think, you know, he, he makes gambles and a lot of times they don't pay off. But I think by and large, he does a really good job. Um, building this team with what the constraints are given to him by above him. 
Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's one of those things where I think Yankees fans just have to accept that it's, it's not George Steinbrenner that is making this call. It's Hal Steinbrenner. And it's a different philosophy. It's a different mindset. Sure, he could say, listen, uh, you know, we always want to win, but, you know, this happened, the playoffs are a crapshoot, whatever they say every year. But if it was this uh, long where the Yankees have, if it was this same exact thing that's going on, but George Steinbrenner was the owner, Cashman may or may not be gone, but someone would be gone, whether it be Boone or he would make a big trade on the run. You know, there would be some sort of shakeup that the Yankees just aren't into doing in this current regime. Yeah, part of me also wonders that the pressure is not as much also this year because they do not have as many people in the stands as normally would, whereas you have 45,000 people booing if things are not going well. There's less heat than there's 8,000. I know the Mets recently jumped the capacity up to 90% starting, I think, next week, but you wonder maybe if the Yankees let more fans in, maybe the pressure increases. Yeah, I mean, that, that could always be a possibility, but at the same time, it hasn't really affected them in the past. I mean, take out these last two years. They, they, the, the struggles have still been there by and large. If you want to say it's World Series or bust, they failed every year, right? And there have been fans in the stadium. It hasn't changed anything. Um, you know, it comes a point, especially with this roster, where these guys have been a core for a long time. I mean, this roster has largely been intact for, you know, the last few years, and it, there hasn't been winning. So it comes to a point where when is the shakeup going to happen? Um, you know, they, they stayed committed to Gary Sanchez. Uh, you know, they stay committed to Clint Frazier, which a lot of people did praise. Um, you know, they, they kept DJ LeMayu, Luke Voigt, Gio Rochella, these guys that maybe you could see them being moved um, because of their salary or, you know, they may not be perfect fits in the fans' eyes. But they team, the Yankees have kept this team together. This core has been together for a while, and it just hasn't been working out. So I don't know what's going to make a change. I don't think it's going to be fans personally. Um, but, you know, you never know. And as the summer goes on and they, they increase the – the capacity, then maybe that could be a difference. Yeah, I think also you're right about this core being together for a while and not getting over the hump. Especially, I think the issue is going to be not with the fans, but more like when they have to start making decisions on the pay, on paying people. They have a big contract with Stan. They have Cole's big contract. They got to pay Aaron Judge. They're going to have to make decisions. Like we want to commit big money to this core that hasn't won a title. Like they're got to decide: do we want to give like, for example, Glaber Torres a big contract? We want to move him for something else. It's like those are the decisions they got to make in like a year or two. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these guys are going to start coming up soon, asking for more money, ask for a lot of money. And uh, that, that's one of the things that I think not myself necessarily, but a lot of people have seen with this, this Stanton deal is that, you know, he's clogging up a lot of space for somebody who's been hurt. Now, granted, he's had great success. I'm not one of those guys who says, you know, he's been an abject failure. I mean, you see what he did last year in the playoffs. He was, you know, just a, a tremendous force. Uh, against the Rays and the Indians. So, I mean, he, you know, he's done a lot of good, but when you're at your DH and you can't really stay on the field and, you know, half the time you're struggling and the other half you're on fire, it's it's a lot of boom or bust, and that's a lot to be paying in a lot of years for a guy that's like that, um, and that's taking up a big portion of their salary. So, And obviously Cole as well, but when you see, especially how he's performing this year and his pedigree and everything like that, you kind of, you know, it's, it's worth the money. And at one point, Stan was worth the money too, but, you know, when when he becomes relegated to DH and a lot of money's tied up there. So, yeah, th there's going to be a lot of questions about salary, a lot of questions about money. Um, I'm really curious to see how they go about it because, like you said, Glaber's going to need a contract and our judge is going to need a contract. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of big money dished out in the coming year. So, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of interesting moves being made in the next couple of years because of that. Yeah, Stan, I get the argument, but at the same time, I think the, the fans were upset because he was redundant when they got him because they had Aaron Judge, a similar type of profile player. I think that's sort of the issue they had, that they're tying all this money to a guy who they had a much younger version of, and they could have used a different, oh, different type of player. 
No, no, I agree with that 100%. I, I, I thought the same way uh, when the move was done. Now, listen, they got him at a discount. You know, the Marlins ate some salary. They didn't have to give up much to get him. So it was appealing. And, and Brian Cashman saw that as why spend $350 million on a Bryce Harper or Manny Machado when I could spend 275 on a Stan. Now, when you look at it that way, yes, that doesn't make sense. But like you said, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stan, are pretty redundant in terms of being the same type of player. So um, it, it was tough. Um, you know, I saw a stat. They, they've only played, you know, what, like 35, 40 games total together or something like that um, since John Carlos Stan came to the Yankees because, you know, one's injured, then the other one, and then one's cold, and then they're hot. It's, it's tough when you have these two guys, and, and that also reflects on what's going on with the Yankees now where their offense is struggling because they have a lot of the same profile guys in the line, you know, whether it be a Gary Sanchez, an Aaron Judge, a, a John Carlos Stan. It, 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 it hurts in that regard, so... Yeah, man, I, I, I see that it was an interesting move, and, and I get the rationale that was made, but at the same time, like you said, it was very redundant. Yeah, and my last question is obviously this year, the focus should be on this year. We talk about a lot of long term things. This year, I mean, the yeah, least has been brutal because obviously Baltimore stinks, but Toronto is good. Tampa Bay has come back from the dead. Boston has been a surprise. Like, where do you think the Yankees stand up with that in that quartet of team? Because you figure two are make the playoffs. I feel like with the way this division beats itself out, it might be tough for three to get in, in the American League. Yeah, I mean, listen, the, the AL East is always uh, a dogfight no matter who's playing. I mean, yes, like you said, the Orioles, um, you know, they're they're at the bottom of the barrel. But the Rays, despite the moves they make, they're always competitive and they're always going to be in it at some point. Uh, like like they traded Blake Snell and people thought, listen, it's kind of, you know, maybe a, a transition year, we'll regroup. But no, they're, they're performing extremely well. The Red Sox, I mean, look at them. They're, they're another team that no one expected much out of, but they're performing well. And then the Blue Jays, a lot of people did have high hopes. Um, I personally was of the belief that, you know, they have young guys, their future is bright. I don't know about this year, but like you said, they're another team that's performing well. Um, you know, you want to believe in the Yankees talent, um, but at the same time, we're, you know, in June now and the struggles that were happening in April are still kind of persistent. Um, they're a hot and cold team. Um, you know, they go on stretches where they're going to win a lot and then they'll go on stretches where they lose a lot. And that's hard to live by, but. I, just because of the pedigree, the talent, um, what they've accomplished in the past, they, they have proven players that have made runs in the postseason. Um, I, I'm going to be in the belief that in the end, they will be one of these teams in the playoffs, but I think there are going to have to be some adjustments that are made to make that a reality. For sure. Dan, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people find on social media? Keep on some of the stuff you're doing for Bronx to Bushville. Yeah, so still writing, still editing over there. Um, you know, I you know, full-time job kind of takes away the writing aspect of it, you know, on a full-time basis. But, um, yeah, staying active on Twitter. Um, just you could, you know, always follow me on there at Dan J. Federico. And, uh, yeah, always posting Yankees thoughts, a bunch of stuff. So, um, you know, trying to stay busy and stay on top of everything Yankees. All right, Dan, thanks for all the time. really appreciate it. Appreciate it, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. Darth Maul builds a criminal empire. Obi-Wan suffers a huge loss. Ahsoka Tano makes a fateful decision and more as the Sky Guys are back to recap Season 5 of The Clone Wars. All right, we are back here. Season 5 of Clone Wars is in the books, and it's going to be a lot of fun today, breaking down, personally, in my opinion, my favorite season of the show thus far. Join me as always. First, the man whose voice you just heard in that introduction, Pete Considori, our our faithful narrator. Pete, how are you? Mike, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, like you said, probably my favorite season as well. We'll get into it a bunch, uh, I'm sure, while we're talking. Um, but definitely interesting, and I'm very excited to talk about it today. Absolutely. And also with us, as always, 
the Jedi Master to our paddle on du- duo here. Nick Fryad is here. Nick, how are you? Doing great. Can't wait to get into this. This is this is what I've been waiting for since we decided to go on this this journey back into the history of Star Wars. Yes, it's been a fun journey so far, and we get some shout outs here. It's been a little crazy the schedule this league. Nick and I have softball commitments going on. We are really recording about an hour after a game. We our team won. Pete had some hockey going on. Pete has a hockey squad doing. Yeah, you you know we're we're one and four, uh, so not the greatest start to the season. But we got like five more games left. So here's the hoping. There's time to turn around. Yeah, there's there's a lot of time to turn around. Other teams are really really good though. I have to give them that. So we just you know, I'll, I'll do the whole hockey thing. We just gotta get pucks deep. You know, we just gotta gotta crash the boards and we just gotta play a complete hockey game. Yeah, we have we play we try to play a complete softball game. We are 500 as a squad. We are two and two so far. Doing great. Yeah, very happy with the squad. Very happy with the squad so far. Yeah, but you guys are not here to hear us talk about our softball teams or the Pitaki team. So let's talk about the Star Wars here. In Season 5 of Clone Wars, 20 episodes, last season to air on Cartoon Network after they canceled the show. And general thoughts, I want to start here. I think, as as we've all kind of said, this is our favorite season to watch so far. P, any general takes you want to start us off with? I mean, the first general take I have to have is what was Cartoon Network thinking to cancel the show at this point, right? I can understand maybe after the second season, you're going, all right, this isn't really working out. We don't think it's going anywhere. But after the the, the writing in this season and the development that happened this season, I really don't know what was going through our minds to cancel this. Um, my top season for sure. A lot of stuff to get into, obviously. And we'll talk about that, about favorite story arcs and all the things we touch on this podcast. But what was Cartoon Network thinking here? Fair question there. I think... Nick, I think it's a question I want to say. It's like, obviously, you think maybe it's a budgetary issue. Maybe you say, okay, like, we've had enough. The story, I think we'll get into it later. They've led to that point where you could say, okay, the show could end here. It makes sense in terms of the actual story of the Star Wars universe and why, spoiler alert, Ahsoka is not there in Episode 3 and beyond. So what do you think about it? Why do you think, in terms of that, any, any other general takeaways you have? I think this has something to do with the, with the Disney purchase because yeah. it was right after. It was right after Disney purchased them, and they said that I think they shifted their attention towards Rebels. And look, we'll, we're going to talk about the movie rankings when we get there, but I think there's a huge understanding that for whatever reason, Disney wa- Disney says if it's not the original trilogy, it's horrible. Anything prequel, they completely ignored, and this is prequel content. So as soon as they got in there, they said, no, we're ending this, and we're putting out Rebels because people like that more. And you know, you know, we've all seen the sequel movies and we know how much they took from the originals. And I think that's exactly what this is, is them coming in and saying, I'm not doing this prequel stuff. We're not doing this prequel stuff anymore. We're going right into original trilogy stuff. Yeah, it's certainly a fair point. I mean, I think and obviously there are points in the season where like, I could see Cartoon Network also airing this and saying, hey, you know, like maybe this is not a good fit right now. But the ending kick is strong. I mean, there are points in the middle. We'll definitely talk about that are issues but i think in terms of just like a straight narrative i thought it was probably the tightest they've done so far oh yeah i mean i don't think there's even going to be a debate when we have to rank our seasons here this is far by far the best season absolutely let's get into some of these arcs i'm gonna do something different here because this is also not we're gonna kind of go through each arc and its own being there's only five of them so i think it's easy to just touch on each of them instead of debating best worst or whatnot so we're going to take the premiere, put it to the side because, P, I'm sure you know, there's a continuity error here because this was not supposed to air in that order because 
the Jedi who was with Obi-Wan, the premiere, Adi Gilly, is killed. In the next episode, you see her. She's right sitting on the Jedi Council. So great, another great job of uh, continuity errors there. Uh, fantastic job. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. The first time I, I saw it, I didn't pick up on it. I actually had a rewatch yeah. the first couple of episodes because I had started it. And then in pure Pete fashion, I hadn't watched for like a week and a half. So I was like, all right, it was only two episodes when we rewatched them. And I was like, wait a minute didn't they get killed so yes it was a really bad continuity error a lot of mess ups in that aspect in this whole show and in the chronological uh the chronological order of the show i don't know if that was an issue because of disney plus when they put it on disney plus if the chronological order got messed up um but i mean technicality wise there was a lot of continuity errors that i was seeing throughout the whole show that was just like cringy there's a lot of audio continuity errors i didn't really like as well yeah i think in terms of what happened there, I think it's one, Nick, I think it's like this. It's like season four ends, you got the great Darth Maul store, and they say, great, we want to go pick right back up with Darth Maul and see where it goes from here. And then they give you that story, and then if you say, okay, well, let's cut in the middle here because the other three episodes can kind of stand on their own. But I think if they didn't give you that one shot of the Jedi who was killed sitting on the council's cheat, you could have gotten away with this. Yeah, I just don't really understand it. Do you think maybe they think like, oh, this is just a weekly episodic television show. It's not really meant to have an over over like like a story that's ongoing throughout the series. That's what I'm thinking, maybe. But like people clearly watched it. Like, I don't see why you would do it because they clearly did it on purpose. Like they could easily change the order episodes come out. I just think that that's I'm a little confused as to why that is. You think it's laziness? I don't think so. Do you think it's just. thinking it's a kid's show, no one will pick up on it. That's what I think. I think it's probably more of that. Probably slightly some laziness and because they probably had the... And they think the way they shot this is probably Andre and Ark supposed to come first. And then they threw that Darth Maul episode at the beginning to sort of tie in and not have what we had in season three when you're complaining, hey, where'd Darth Maul go? Why do you wait for the whole season to see him again? Yeah. So they tried to do that and then they couldn't... And then they had that one error. They said, you know, well, this it's not the big deal. We need to get the Darth Maul episode to start the season. Yeah, that's probably it. And that Darth Maul episode was good. Yeah. It was a good episode. It was a lot of fun. Anything, I think anything that had Maul in this show has been great. Yeah. Any episode. Yeah. And that premiere, I think it, it was a fun spot to have Maul try and usurp Hondo's pirate gang, Pete. That was fun. Yeah, that was. That that showed a, a lot of Maul trying to start his plan, right? His yeah. master plans to, to get his own kind of crew. And he and he seizes the opportunity um, with the pirates. But the pirates fight back, obviously, with the help of the Jedi um, and ultimately leave uh the mall and Savage stranded in space, pretty much on their deathbeds. Yeah. Um, until a very important scene comes up, which we'll talk about in a little bit. I'm sure um, it was, it was an interesting arc to take. I think it's necessary. I don't think it's a throwaway kind of arc. And the reason why I say that is because it, it, it shows the struggle and it shows the, the power struggle between mall and other people, other beings in the universe to, to gain that control of, of different systems, right? And Maul, Maul's ultimate plan is to try to gain as much of the systems as he can. So um, definitely a fun arc to watch. Um, it's not the last of the pirates that we'll see in the in the season, which is, which is pretty cool too. Um, but I enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah, Nick, I think this episode is where the worm turf is Hondo. Now I'm on the Hondo train. Like him watching I was him. about to ask. Yeah, this is what the moment I got on board with Hondo because it was basically seeing him say, you know what, like, I don't care who he is. He's not taking my pirates. I'm gonna. I'm not going down without a fight. I thought it was fun the way he was like. You know what? Screw these guys. I'm. I'm. I'm the boss here. You know, season one we did the we did our episode here, our our, our segment. You said that 
you know, he was like, I think you give him an LVP. You were like, who is this guy? You had a Hondo tracker. And I said, well, I was like, that's not going to go well for you. He's going to be in not only this show, spoiler alert, he's in Rebels too. And you were like, oh boy. And I think now I think you're excited to see him in Rebels. Yeah, they've, they've written, he's developed well, in my opinion. Yeah, that's, I think that's, this show is like the definition of character development. We've had so many characters, especially we'll get into Ahsoka, but like, and, and, and Hondo, and it's like the first, you see them the first time and they're like, who are these guys? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, who's this character? And then you know, we, we love these characters now. Like, Ahsoka's accepted as a Star Wars character. When you don't want to show you, like, who's this Anakin's apprentice? What? Now it's like, yeah, Ahsoka, she's a great character. Yeah. Yeah, let's go on to a big arc for Ahsoka, which is the arc on Onderon, where we get the big introduction, Pete, to Saw Guerrero, and we remember him, obviously, at the mainstreamers. We saw him in Rogue One, and he gets killed as the terroristic re- like rebel leader. Here we get his origin story, and what do you think about that? Not like, Obviously, not having seen that before. Um, I think it, it gave the character a lot of humanity, right? It gave a lot of human characteristics to, to him. Um, obviously, um, he was going through a lot with this whole rebellion of his own planet, right, um, in his own area. And to see the struggle between the rebels and, you know, I forget the guy's name who took over, it, it shows that it's, it was kind of like a started from the bottom kind of, of rebellion, right? It was like, we can't take this anymore. You're doing the wrong thing. We're going to fight for our city. And we have a group of 12, 13 people with the help of the Jedi, which if I remember correctly, he wasn't so keen on at first. Um, it, it shows the passion behind his character a lot more than when you just see him in rogue one in rogue one he's kind of already established that passion he's an established character um within itself right we don't see really a lot of backstory from rogue one for that character so i think this gives it some sort of gives the character some sort of characteristics that we we probably wouldn't have even thought of before yeah nick i think it's interesting too because you watched what the traditional right? you watch clone wars first then rogue one comes out how excited were you to see saw on the big screen it's exciting, and he's a cool character because he's like the—he's probably like the main side character, if you will, kind of thing. He's in this. <clears throat> We've seen him in Bad Batch. He—I don't know if you—I know you started playing uh, Jedi Fallen Order. He's in that too. He's in Rogue One. It's like he—they keep throwing him into anything they can that's not like a mainstream thing. I guess Rogue One was, but you know what I mean, like the shows and whatnot, and the video games. So like, it's cool to see him, and and you can see it the way he. If you remember in Rogue One, which I appreciated about the movie, it's one of my favorite Star Wars movies, is you get to see the other side of the rebels. You get to see, like, I don't want to say terrorists, but they kind of are. They're kind of terrorists, if you think about it. Like, they're they're going under, you know, they're, they're they have, like, the tank, the Imperial tanks going through the city, and they're throwing bombs at them and hiding. It's essentially, they are terrorists. They're attacking, you know, they're attacking the government in, in the middle of a city street. And it's just kind of cool to see that other side of the rebellion and see where it came from. You could see the same thing on Onderon in this show. You can see how they're, like, ruthless. Yeah, for sure. And I think this arc was an interesting one because it was a big arc for Ahsoka because she basically gets left behind to supervise the Rebels and, and, and make sure they're not going overhand. And it was a fun moral debate for her, Pete, to see, like, how long am I supposed to sit back and watch versus when am I supposed to intervene? I think that was a fun spot to see Ahsoka make these decisions. Oh, yeah. It was definitely a growing example of Ahsoka Tano. I think it was also a, a test for Ahsoka, I think. Um, leaving her there to teach and to advise and not to step in showed ahsoka at least to me how not to be attached to purely be um objective and say well this is what you have to do but i cannot get involved this is not you know my fight to fight and i'm sure it's been said 80 times in this season when it came to that arc 
So I think it's important. And I think a lot of the Jedi probably have to go through something like that, where they have to take a step back and say, there's really nothing I can do. I'm sorry, which is, is kind of, um, you know, they are peacekeepers, but it's kind of interesting to see that a Jedi order that we know and love when it comes to the movies is like, we're here to make things better. This is showing us, well, we want to keep the peace, but it's really not our fight. So we'll help you, but we're not really going to fight for you. Good luck. You know? So I think it, it gives the Jedi order almost, I don't want to say a political side to them, but it gives them that like, well, we're just going to advise you. We can't get involved. Sorry. Kind of look. Yeah. It's a great, I, I think though, I think it is, they are pretty political, to be honest with you. You see the same thing in Attack of the Clones. He's like, I think Mace Windu says, he goes, we're, pe- we're, peacer- we're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. Like the same kind of thing. Like I think it is a little political with them. Yeah, there is a lot of politics to the game here. I mean, I think it's interesting watching this arc play out and seeing, I didn't even know that Saw Guerrero had a sister named Steel, who clearly is the more competent one of the Rebellion duo, and Saw's stupidity basically gets her killed. So that's a, that's, it's a big move. It shapes both those characters. Obviously, Steel died, and Saw becomes who he is basically because of his actions there. Yeah, her death also plays a big role in him becoming who he is and why he really hates the Empire, or in this case, the Separatists. But you know what I mean? Like He's so strong in his beliefs because of loss. Yeah, I think anything else you want to throw in on that arc before we move on? Nothing from me. Yeah, no. Pretty much covered it. All right, that's the, the first big arc. The other, the next two, I think we can kind of speed through a little bit. The Younglings, I will say, when I saw it was four episodes of Younglings, I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be bad. But you know what? I actually kind of enjoyed this one. I thought it was, for what it was, uh, it could have been a lot worse. I thought there were some fun moments. I liked, I thought I was confused where the hell Yoda went after the first episode when he's helping them find, tells them to find the crystal. He disappears. You never see him again. But Nick, I know you're not a big fan of it. What is your issue with the Younglings? It doesn't show us anything that we don't know, except, oh, this is how they make their lightsabers. It's like, there's no new information here. It's, I trust me, I like this arc more than the droid arc, but <laughs> this is like, it's just kind of boring. Again, I think for what they did, like, tell me they're doing a youngling arc. I'm like disappointed, but for, for a youngling arc, it was fine. I didn't dislike it for a youngling arc, but why are we doing a youngling arc? Yeah, I think, why are we doing a droid arc? Why are we doing a youngling arc? I don't, I, I don't write the show. I don't know what arc would fit better instead. You know, that's not my job, but I can tell you it wasn't this. Yeah. P, I think the problem Nick has here is a fair point. Is like when you see it's younglings and we know that they all are going to get wiped out in the span, about a year in the time of the, of the series, like is it hard? it's hard to get emotionally invested in these characters because you know they're all basically getting like killed in about a year off screen. I agree, but I also think it's hard to emotionally get invested because it, it, it just feels like I use this term a lot in this podcast, a filler episode. It's just like we need 20 episodes. What can we do that'll be fun? Maybe relate to the younger crowd that's watching this show. You know, I could be a Jedi too, kind of a thing. Like, look at the, how young these these Jedi are. I do like the creation of the lightsaber. I think they could have done it somewhere else, though. I think Ahsoka Tano, that could have been something that Anakin brought her to do, and we could find out in one episode how she built her lightsaber, or even how she got her second lightsaber, which is not explained at all in this story um, or these seasons. I like the elements. I just don't like that I need to be a younglings arc in season five where things are starting to heat up in other story arcs that are much more important, in my opinion. I will also say, though, I think the thing for me that saves the arc is the Hondo and the pirates being the villains makes a lot of sense. I knew that was going to come out of your mouth. I knew you were like, yeah, the pirates are the best part. Like, I- <laughs> Hondo's your favorite character now. Yeah, I mean, 
This just because I think like it makes sense because they would actually be a threat for young Jedi who don't have like this kind of experience that the older ones do. So they probably have a season one with them, which is like Count Dooku should be able to take them down because like him crashing a ship should not be enough for him to basically get captured by him. But young kids who really haven't seen much yet, like the pirates can be a threat. Plus, it gave us Drunk Honda, which is probably the most funniest thing I've ever seen. I can't think of another character in the Star Wars we've seen who actually just like physically just gets drunk in the middle of an episode. I also think that that this arc was hard to get behind because there's too many younglings. If you give me two younglings, I can maybe get behind it. But when you have five or six, and I don't know who's who, I only know one of them's a Wookiee, one of them's uh, looks like that guy who was in the bar and, and a New Hope. Like you, you're just like you're giving me you're giving me too many. If you give me one or two, I can follow them and I can maybe sympathize for them a little bit. But if there's too many of them, I can't. Yeah, P, I feel like I would love to see, like, the. I wish the rookie kid would have made it, because we never see a rookie Jedi. That's something we should, like, make sure Filoni gets into a show somewhere. Well, I, I think I think it's very interesting. I think Nick's point is really great, right? We, we have too many of them, but I, I think the Wookiee Jedi would be cool. But, like, how cool would it have been for one of the long, younglings to be, like, Cal Kestis yeah. from the Fall, uh, Fallen Order, yeah. right? I believe that, yeah, right? How cool would that have been? Be like, okay, yeah, we don't really know what happens to him before the game, but we now know he was a youngling and we know order 66 happened. So somewhere in there, he grows up, he's being under the radar as not a Jedi. And then, I mean, the game, if you ever play the game, not to spoil it for anyone, pretty much in the beginning of the game, it's like this guy is working in like an assembly line or, or being under the radar. And he knows he has these abilities. Yeah. You do have flashbacks to order 66 with him though. That was fun part. Right. So, so that also plays into it. So, Yeah, they could have done. I mean, granted, the game was made after these seasons were out, I believe. I could be wrong. Yeah, but less Cartoon Network arc, I would think that the game is. It was like 2012 this this, uh, season, and the game was like two or three years ago. Right. So you absolutely could have set it up, you know, and even if you didn't make the full Miller Cal Kestis, you did someone who was one of the younglings in this arc. You could be like, oh, that's pretty cool. This was how he started. You know, it would have made it a little bit better. Again, filler episodes for me um but nick's point is spot on like there's just there's too many of them and it's just like they get into these crazy antics and i think you know like back to what i said i think it was like a lot of young kids watch the show right we want to show like look these young jedis look what they could do for four or five episodes so that's probably where they were coming from yeah well i mean for me the pirates save it the next arc is irredeemably bad which is we decide we need to spend four episodes yeah, following no. four droids, uh, five droids, and yeah, an, ar- an arrogant commander who thinks he's like the hot, the hottest shit on the planet because he got assigned to lead a task force of droids to steal a data chip. Like we spent four episodes with him, and this to me, I think, is the worst four episode stretch of television I've seen in a very long time. Because as you said, and Nick has done this last year at the droid arcs, it's like the problem is like. You have you need characters who can talk, and R two beeps and boops all the time. So then we we get stuck with the two characters who can talk are this arrogant little like alien guy who decides that I'm Bebar Gascon, I'm gonna be the greatest commander we've ever seen, and and the whack droid who is like the like the biggest slapstick comedy character I've ever seen, which it just didn't work. And we need we wasted four episodes on this garbage. Four episodes in a twenty episode season too. Twenty percent of our episodes were R two D two beeping and bopping. With, B- with Mebar and Whack arguing the whole way through. And Jungling's four episodes, too. So eight out of our 20 episodes were in this in these two arcs. But, yeah, yeah. awful. Yeah, like... Awful. I, I, probably worse than, you know, as you said, the worst, you said the worst stretch of television you've seen in some time. Definitely, I think definitely worse than the other droid arcs, too. 
Pete, I know you want to say something. I can see you're just like seething about this arc. I. It's got to be fanfare, right? <laughs> At this point, the producers are probably like, everyone wants to, everyone wants to see R two D two. Okay, then you got the odd couple with the colonel and that one Whack. droid, right? Just yep. going back and forth. Fine, you get a little ha ha there. But the episode where they found the lost clone where they were just roaming a blank planet. I wanted to <laughs> shoot myself. I was like, what am I watching? This is, this is so boring. You could do this right when they land and the city's right there. They don't have to traverse the whole freaking planet. I think I fell asleep during it. Honestly, yeah. sitting up at my desk, watching the freaking thing. Yeah. It, I, I get it, but I don't, I get it from a business standpoint. Hey, it's R2D2, but like from a, from a watching standpoint and from a, and who knows? These producers are working for Cartoon Network. They're not, I don't think they're probably invested in like Star Wars lore. They're just like, we want to make a fun Star Wars show for the kid. Oh, it was so much crap. I can't, I am, I'm really hoping that with the shorter seasons, the 13 episode seasons that are coming in six and seven, they don't have to worry about filler crap episodes, like watching some frog tell a droid what to do for about <laughs> two hours. I, I don't, I don't think I can handle it anymore. I, I really don't think so. No, I'm mean, like, Nick, it's what, like three straight seasons now you had a significant droid arc in it. Yeah, Three. Always, always, always a droid arc, and I don't get it. I, I don't want any more of them. They're horrible, and they also like, you know, these are the episodes that like when I watched, I'm barely paying attention. I have my I have my laptop up. I can't. I can't. I'm trying so hard to pay attention, and I can't. And the way I've been watching them now, like it, it just makes more sense for me. I know Mike, you like to do two a day. You know, Pete, you like to binge it. I like to watch an arc at a time. So I'll sit down, I'll watch an entire arc. It's like watching a movie kind of thing. And then I'll wait a day or two, or a couple of days, even, you know, and I'll watch another arc. And this day was just the worst. It was the worst day. Yeah. I can only imagine like having to watch all four of them in a row. That's just awful. That's how I've been doing it yeah. recently. I do enjoy doing that more because I think I pick up the arc a little bit more. But oh my God, this, this arc was, it was painful that morning to watch it. Yeah. I've, I've never had to take a mental health day. <laughs> After a while, like, I felt like I was exhausted. I was like, I can't, like, I don't want to watch the rest of the season now because if we're going to do this crap for the rest of the season, I don't want to do it. Yeah. But, like, also, it's like one of those things, like, rip the bandaid off, just get through it. Like, you kind of have to. Yeah. I bet you $1,000 if Nick and I didn't even watch the droid arc, it, it wouldn't have even mattered for this show. It would just no. be like, it sucked. And then that's the end of it. Like, there's nothing to mm -hmm. talk about with it. The only cool aspect of it was they found this, this lost clone Who's like, I have amnesia. Oh, I remember now. I'm with like this seasoned hardcore soldier. And then he just starts fighting off 80 people at once out overnight. I'm like, okay, this, this is uh, and okay. The, and the worst it's part, done. we don't have to do it again. Yeah. Guys, we did it. Yeah. The worst part about that clone showing up was like, he was the best character in the whole thing. And he's the one who has to die so that the droids and, and idiotic Meebar can get, can get, get away and get to that stupid separate ship for the last episode of the arc, which. Again, you could have lopped this in half. It's still been too much. It would have been too much if they even just mentioned it. Yeah. If they just said we're going to have a droid arc, even if they didn't put it in the show, that's already too much. So, so, Nick, here's your choice now. This is like, this is your Sophie's choice here. Four episode arc. Do you want R2 and C3PO again or me, Bar, and Whack? As the stars, well, I, at least I like C three PO. You know, in the movies, I always liked him. He's funny. He, he yeah. in, the, in the original trilogy, he cracks me up. So at least I can, you know, at least I can. And, and it is Anthony Daniels who plays him in this show too. So at least you get the same voice. So I do. I, I would definitely go with three PO. Yeah, I mean, spoiler alert for the LVP section. Like I was bailing back and forth between Me Bar and Whack 
for, for which one that was getting the LVP point for me. So one of them made it. I will reveal that at the end of the show. I'm excited to hear your list. All right. And let's go on to the more fun stuff. Now we'll get away from the uh, dreck of the season. Back to Mandalore. This was so much fun. And we got to see Darth Maul's master plan come into form. The Death Watch picked the, pick up him and survive in space to make the deal to stage the coup on Mandalore. They basically overthrow the government. Pre Vizsla gets killed by Maul. Maul installs, reinstalls Almec as a puppet governor and basically sets the criminal empire up. He gets his revenge on Obi-Wan because he kills Satine because that's Satine. And this was the stuff I'm like, yes, this is like going from like the lows of the droid arc to the highs of this arc. I'm like, my goodness, this is the show I was wanting to watch. This is, in my opinion, the second best arc in the entire show. Yeah. The only arc that's better is the final arc. And it was this arc, it was incredible. You see Maul building the Shadow Collective, getting involved in the criminal underworld, which, if you didn't notice, I'm sure you guys noticed, his appearance in Solo makes sense now that he's a, that he's a criminal underworld like leader like that's where it all came from was this is that he was building a criminal empire and he's still involved in that we can tell 10 years from now because 10 years after when the movie solo takes place and why he's there so this is him building that empire and you see it happening in front of your eyes and the dark saber you know that's why we that's why we're watching this show the dark saber and bo katan and ahsoka is the reason we're watching the show because they were all on the mandalorian yeah. and you see them all in front of you. You see why how Bo-Katan, um, sort of looking for defects from Death Watch. You see the the Darth Saber changing hands. So we're, we're I guess we're excited to see how Moff Gideon got it in 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 uh, Mandalorian. And then we're also seeing, obviously, this whole show we've been seeing Ahsoka, but now we're seeing her actually become a cool character instead of being a whiny teenager. Yeah, and Pete, I think the highlight of the entire arc was like besides watching Maul's machinations. The fight at the end between Savage, Maul, and Palpatine is by far, I think, the best lightsaber fight I've seen in the show. Yeah, I, I agree a thousand percent. I think that was really, really cool. Um, Sith versus Sith, pretty much telling the story like there can only be one master, one Padawan, you know, and and and, and to hear uh, um, Darth Sidious be like, I have plans for you and keep him alive when he could have totally just murdered him. Yeah. Told, like he had him beat dead to rights. Like he was done, but he was like, I have plans for you. I'm going to keep you alive. And just like bounces. I was like, wow, chills, right? Yeah. Like goosebumps. And, and, and can I just jump into a really random point? Did I miss this or did everyone else know Bo-Katan was Satine's sister? Oh, we want I knew yeah. obviously before, but I don't know if they said it beforehand. They did not. Right. Like just something that was brand new, just boom, hits you like, oh, you're Satine's sister because Satine has mentioned, go find my sister, go talk to my sister when all this stuff's going down. We don't know who it is. We think it's another good person, right? But then it turns out to be Death Watch de facto Bo-Katan, who we know from Mandalore. It, like, blew my mind. Blew yeah. it. It was just gone. Well, I mean, in cartoon logic, I mean, how many other female Mandalorians have we seen on that show? So there weren't many options. Not many, yeah. It's true. <laughs> true, but I wasn't expect. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm just an idiot. I don't, I don't know. Because once they said sister, I'm like, oh, is it Bo-Katan? Because like, we haven't seen a female Mandalorian yet. I didn't. I didn't make that connection at all. Also, just random. You made a random point. I'll make one, too. The way that Palpatine killed Savage was just awesome. I like, had the lightsabers facing backwards and just went back yeah. to him. That was just so cool to see. I feel like every time, even in the sequels, as much as I don't like them, 
the sequels and the prequels and the shows, everything, they always find a new way to like kill someone with a lightsaber. And it's always cool. Like in, in episode eight, like when, when uh, Kylo caught the lightsaber, just turned it on, turned it off real quick to kill that last uh, guard. Like that was awesome. It's always cool to see like a, a cool ending to a battle. Yeah. I think that's true. I think it's a fantastic point. And I think I want to say too, Obi-Wan gets punked so hard this arc because he just gets owned by Darth Maul's entire season. It's something for him to do, at least. As I mentioned before, when we first meet him in episode one, when he dies in episode four, when we see his ghost in episode six, he's the same person, morally speaking. At least this is something for him to not just say, this is him from episode one, this is him in episode six. Like, this is the exact same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, at least he's in the season. I mean, Anakin's barely there. Right. Well, I think it's interesting, if I I can just add something in here, that Obi-Wan Kenobi, I think, in in this kind of arc is, is, is... fighting off emotion, I think more than p- politics or yeah. going by the book. Obi-Wan's always a straight and narrow by the book guy. We've talked about it extensively on this podcast. This is, I think one of the first and maybe only times, and I could be wrong because I haven't seen the rest of the seasons, but this is like the first and only times we see Obi-Wan like, Oh crap, it's a teen. All right. We, we gotta go do something, even though he shouldn't be involved and, and everything like that. So um, at least we get that human side to Obi-Wan in this, in the series. Yeah, agreed. I think fantastic arc overall. We followed up with the fantastic arc again in the fina- in the final four episodes of the season where the Jedi Temple gets bombed, Ahsoka gets framed for it, and we find out that it's ba- that Barris, the who was her friend from season two, is the one who did the bombing. At the end of the day, like the Jedi don't believe her. They basically set out to be executed before uh, Anakin finally revealing the truth, excuse me, and then coming back to save the day in a sense. And Ahsoka says, you know what? And no other words, F you, I'm leaving. I'm not coming back. And I think power move, respect that. And I think a phenomenal arc for the show. And you could see like in Anakin's face, like this is a moment, like we talk about a couple of moments where he's going the other way. This is a moment where the Jedi are losing a lot of points for him. Yeah, and you could see, another thing is you could see him lose somebody else first his mother now her then he's having the dreams about padme just more and more in this show do you start understanding anakin's turn to the dark side rather than when you just watch the movies and you're just like he's happy he's a little kid he's whiny then all of a sudden he's just bad like i don't get it like this shows you more and more through the course of this show that he was a good guy he was a good master he was a good jedi and he had feelings for people and people close to him were taken away from him. Yeah, for sure. And Pete, what did you think about this arc? Yeah, I think it also plays a major role in how not good the Jedi order is. And the reason why I say that is because they did not trust Ahsoka at all. They just went by what Tarkin said it was Tarkin, right? If I, if I remember correctly. Yes. They, you know, these people are force-wielding people. They can't sense if someone's telling the truth or not. I mean, every once in a while, they're like, oh, I can sense something's wrong. If you're not sensing something wrong with Ahsoka, why the hell are you not trusting her or at least backing her through the investigation, right? Keep her in the Jedi Order and say, look, we want an investigation. If we find that she's guilty, then we'll kick her out of the Jedi Order. They didn't back their own. And I and they don't do that with Anakin either. If I was Anakin or Ahsoka, I'd be like, deuces. You know, I would do the same thing. I'd be like, I I can't do this. Like, you don't back me, but I'm fighting for you. I'm keeping the peace for you. And, you know, of course, Mace Windu putting that jab in there, like, you're going to be biased. We can't have you investigate. And Anakin's like, if I find anything, I'll tell you. Like, I'm not going to deceive you. 
He just has to keep putting those jabs in. I mean, if you're working for someone who just keeps making you feel like you're not important at the job or you're not doing the job or that you can't trust you, you leave the job. You're done. Yeah. This shows how much the Jedi Order, or at least the people on the Jedi Council, maybe excluding Yoda, have their own like vision of, I don't care what I feel, I don't care what I see, this is how I feel about it, and that's the way it's going to be. Yeah, and great, great point we brought before on this podcast, like the continued distrust of Anakin from Mace Windu, his reasons had again in that arc. And I also want to dock the, the Jedi Council here because the the person who bombed the temple was wandering around the temple for about like four days, and none of them figured out that she was responsible, which I don't no understand. No one sensed anything. No one sensed it's, anything. It's, it was, a, it was a, something that George Lucas did, I want to say in episode one, where I think people picked up on that. Like, these people are Jedi. They should know what's going on, where he just says the dark side clouds everything. So she was a, she was a dark side user. She clouds everything, so they couldn't figure it out. You know what I mean? And it's just like, it's just something to see. To see. Otherwise, it'd make no sense. You think, know what I mean? But that's a, good, that's a very lazy way out of it, though. Because I could, you could understand. It's very lazy. Because, I mean, you could understand saying Palpatine, who's amazing, and saying, like, he's, he's a brilliant dark side user. He clouds everything. I get that, but... Barris, who is a Jedi until that like five minutes before she starts to bomb the temple, you can't, and she's in the dark side. All of a sudden, they can't sense anything. But like, is she dark side? She's, is she dark side? Or she's just anti Jedi. At this, I think she's more anti Jedi than dark side. Yeah, not really. Like, no. she's not yeah. a Sith. Not she's a Sith. Someone who's like, people don't trust the Jedi, and I don't trust them either right now. Which, let's be honest, Ahsoka's one of those people right now. Yeah. So is she the Sith now because she, because the Jedi turned their back on her and she decided to say bye. Like, this is what I'm saying. Like, it's a discrepancy that angers me. How do you not sense this crap? Yeah, this is one of those where you see, like, that they're just so high in their own hubris that they just, like, can't see the forest for the trees. Yes. And Windu acts as just, like, the figurehead almost. I don't want to say, no, that's not the right word. Like, the voice. Like, in other words, the the Jedi Council is the one who doesn't trust Anakin, right? But, but... Windu's the one who's going to communicate to him all the time because they're not going to have all these different Jedi from all different places communicate. As we mentioned earlier, like with the younglings, mm. the essentialize that we care more. So they just have a Windu be that guy to Anakin. So it's the whole, it's the entire council who doesn't have trust for Anakin, but it's really Windu, who the one who it looks like has no trust for him because he's just the voice, if you will. Yeah, for sure. And in terms of how this ends, and this is the, the, the episode ends with Ahsoka basically saying, like, I can't do this, I have to leave, and that's the last we see of her in the season, and Anakin looks, like, heartbroken by this. Do you think, if we had not have a six season six or season seven of this show, Nick, do you think this could have worked as the finale of Clone Wars? Yes and no. Yes, because it works perfectly. That, oh, that's why Ahsoka's not there. That's really the main question going into the show, is how does Anakin have a Padawan if he doesn't have a Padawan in episode three? And, you know... That, that that question is answered, but no, because when you see the finale, when we get to that final season, you're going to understand, oh, this could not have been the ending, because we need to see what brings us directly into the end of the war, what brings us to the episode three. If you remember in episode three, the opening scene, Palpatine was captured by Grievous yes. and Dooku. Like, we need to see that happen. That's how you lead into a movie, the way that Rogue One led into A New Hope. That's what we're we need to see. This this is a this is still a year to go, maybe in the timeline. So yes, it could have functioned as an ending, but given the ending that we did get, this would have been a much worse ending. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, Pete. Why do you think about this? Like, if this had been the end of the show, would you have been okay with it? 
Um, for some, it's kind of like yes and no. Like like Nick is saying, I haven't seen the latter seasons. However, like for sto- certain story arcs, like the Darth Maul taking over Mandalore arc, it's like I feel like there's so much more to show there. Granted, we kind of have that preconceived notion. Uh, me and you, Mike, because we talked to Nick about it, that there will be more with Darth Maul, especially I'm assuming he shows up in Rebels as well. But if you end all of these arcs right now, I don't think it works. The Ahsoka Tano arc, yeah, you can end it, boom, it's done. You probably don't even need to see her until Mandalorian. It's like, oh my God, she's back, right? That could have been the big reveal. Granted, it it was the same thing after, you know, um, is she in Rebels? I'm not even sure. Um, but she may only be in... Um, this clone worlds you you see her and you're like okay she's back but it'll work she's gone you don't see her again fine it happens in star wars all the time people die they don't come back or whatever they take a take a road trip you never see them um but for an arc like the mandalore arc like you gotta give me more you can't just end it now you can't just leave it be that darth maul is now the leader of a planet and running all the underworld like gangs and stuff and it's just like yep that's just happening during all the the, the original series, and you just never hear about it. Okay, no problem. Yeah, it's a fair point. And I do think, at least you can see what happens in season six. I know, like, they started work on that's why we get these episodes we get in season six, because they had started animating some of the episodes, and they got canceled, and it ends up on Netflix, the ones that got produced. So that's why we see those. But I think it'll be interesting, because it was clearly not intended to be the finale. Like, they had designs on more episodes. I, I Nick, I read somewhere online, apparently there were about, like, 65 episodes they had planned and were in the process of, like, at least starting to animate. And then I think that the, we have got 25 more. So it's, like, 40 stories we never got to, absolutely not to see. Yeah, most of those stories, if if not all of them, I don't know exactly where to find them. I think somewhere on YouTube, but you can watch them. Yeah. And they're, like, half animated, like, not fully animated. but they, And the voice acting is there, so you can watch them. They're really weird. I've seen, like, clips of them. And it's like horrible animation or like it's clearly not finished. I don't know the first thing about animation, but like you could tell like if you know if you know about it, you'll, you can see what I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, they, they kind of did that. And for season six that we got coming up next, it's it's disappointing. Yeah. All right. It well. is. It's, it's I'm not thrilled to be watching six next. It is not. And we'll get to it a little bit later from this to this podcast, but six is not close to five. All right. Let's go into some of these trackers now we're talking about. It. We go through them every weekend. Every time we do this episode, this podcast, we go through some things we've been keeping track of, some running gags, some bits that we have going on here. And for those of you watching the YouTube version of this podcast, there are some spiffy new graphics popping up on the screen as we discuss all of these. We'll start with our first tracker here. Padme Amidala being captured tracker. It is still at five because she's she not she barely appeared in this season. I mean, the only time we see her here is when she's Ahsoka's lawyer in the, in the trial. Yeah, terrible lawyer, too. Terrible lawyer. <laughs> well, she, she has one default move. It's peace. Like, that's the argument. There's no investigation. How can you defend someone with no... De- it's like, oh, she's innocent because we, we know her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was not good lawyering. No. Oh, uh, and uh, my legal... My, the legal... Uh, the, what is it? The, the legal... What do you call him? The legal... advisor on this podcast? Yeah. My brother, Phil Friday, would not be happy with Padme's work. <laughs> No, he would not be thrilled with his work. Some other trackers to update here. Zero the Hut, still dead, still just five appearances. So that's the only, that's the only time we're going to see him. Good. If, if he comes back from life for some reason, I'm throwing <laughs> the apparatus I'm watching. I'm yeah, I mean, out the window. Net, don't don't be surprised. Bad Batch could bring him back. 
yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see that one. We talked about Bad Batch a bit too. What was going on the last couple episodes? So the ones that have been in motion here, we have some changes here. The Hondo Trackers, a big five appearance boost. You up to ten now. We we have five times this season, and I think he was good in all five. Look how excited he is. Yeah, I'm actually going to check if they have any Hondo memorabilia for you. <laughs> There's like a Hondo pop figure. Big on the pop figure. All right. Also, another one we're updating here. The Darksaber. We've been keeping track of his appearances. We, we're up two. We got three more of this. He's up to five total appearances of the Darksaber, which is now in possession of Darth Maul. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch it throughout this show and Rebels to see where it goes. And just so you know, you know those Funko Pops? Yeah. They have a Hondo one on Amazon, only $27. <laughs> Mike, you got to jump on that. Yeah, we'll see you about that one. And so, Greg, can I ask a quick question about Maul that we're talking about him and the, and the Darksaber? Yeah. Is there a reason why he doesn't go back to a dual saber setup? You know, actually... Is it because Samaj has it? Pay attention, because if you remember in Solo, when he ignites his lightsaber for no reason at all, except just so there can be a lightsaber in the movie, yeah. he, has a, he has a dual lightsaber. Okay. That's 10 years, in time, or nine years at this time. So right. in nine years' time, he will have a dual lightsaber. So let's keep our eyes open. All right, we'll, we'll keep our eye on when that dual lightsaber pops up. And, and, and I'm, I'm not saying that as like, as like, oh, keep your eyes open. It's going to happen. Like, I'm saying that as, I don't remember. Yeah, they right. might show it. They might not. Let's keep our eyes open to see if they do show that. It does so interesting with Bad Batch, and we'll get to it in a minute. I think some of these characters, if we see them pop up in Bad Batch, because this is chronically, I mean, Darth Maul still floating around in Bad Batch time period. You have, like, Hondo floating around. I, I would actually see seeing some of these guys down the road in that show. I'd be interested in seeing some other characters. It's going to be tough with the voices, but I'd be interested in seeing some other characters too, like Lando. Hmm. You see Lando Calrissian in Rebels, spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, well, he might be a little too young at this point to see him, but you know, characters, you know, there are a lot of other characters we could see, and they could definitely bring characters from Rebels in to Bad Batch. They already did with the opening scene, which we'll get to when we start watching Rebels, but they can do that based on the timeline. Bring some characters from Rebels in, or maybe even, maybe even Solo. Yeah. And our last tracker of the bunch, the Bo-Katan tracker, which we started in season four, it has picked up three more appearances. She's got the four spots of appearing in the show so far. So the Bo-Katan tracker is going to start getting a workout now, I think, as we start going forward here. Yeah, and if you remember when we did the, I want to say it was the Mandalorian finale podcast. I put it in quotes. I did this with my fingers. I said, people think of her as a good guy. She's not a good guy. Remember, I said this specifically. And I think we can all see that now. Like, she's in Death Watch. She's not a good guy by any means. She's only teaming up with Obi-Wan at this point because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You know what I mean? Yeah, she's more of an antihero. Yeah, so now you get a better sense of her when you watch her in The Mandalorian. Like, we would just think, like, oh, my God, she's the one from the Clone Wars. She must be a good guy. Like, I'm rooting for her. She's never going to screw over the Mandalorian or Dan Jaren. But you can kind of see where she's coming from and how, how she acts and why she acts the way she does in that show. All right. Uh, that's our trackers. Now we'll get to the fun here, the MVP LVP board, where we give out points for who is the best character of the season, who are the worst characters of the season. And to reset here, we have the big board up on the screen for you right now. Anakin and Obi-Wan on top of the charts at plus six each. Rex is plus two. Cad Bane plus one. Padme plus one. Ahsoka plus one. Jar Jar Binks, thanks to me, plus one. Mace Windu plus one. Plo Koon plus one. Yoda plus one. I've been giving the Jedi all the points. So like, we also have here Asajj Ventress got in the, in the positive column last season. Darth Maul plus one. 
Then we have Savage and Count Dooku evened out at zero. And the negatives now. Lux Pontendi, minus one. Manali Vali, minus one. Bail Organa, thanks to Pete, minus one. The Master Peel, minus one. The Writer's Room, minus one, thanks to me. Father, minus one from the Morris Arc. Tarkin, minus one. Luminara, minus one. The Droids, minus two. Palpatine, minus two. And our two anchors at the bottom of the list, the Investigator Douche and Zero the Hut, negative four apiece. So a very lengthy list you compiled so far. I'd love to see the Investigator maybe come back and try to redeem himself. I, I kind of thought he was going to come back for the whole Ahsoka Tano thing. And I, was, I was like, oh, God, if he shows up. I, it would have been a good spot for him. Guys. It would have. It would have. Just like show up again, like, hello, I'm investigating this. I point. believe he's done, though. I believe we're not going to see him anymore in any Star Wars media. Bad batch. Yeah. He, yeah, could, yeah. he could be there. He definitely could. And you got to remember this show is only what 10 years out or only nine years from this season. Yeah. So a lot of these, you know, the voice actors are probably all still alive and well, you know, why would you say no kind of thing? So we could definitely see that. Like, it's hard to see. We're probably not going to get Han Solo in these shows because Harrison Ford doesn't want to do it. Harrison Ford, they wanted to ask him about, they said, why, you know, uh, how did you feel about being a force ghost in the Rise of Skywalker? And his response is what the F is a force ghost. <laughs> like, he doesn't care at all. He doesn't care about Star Wars at all. You're not seeing him. You're not seeing Obviously, you're not seeing Carrie Fisher. We're not seeing James Earl Jones anymore at his age. So it's nice to know that these voice actors we can still easily see. All right, let's start out with the positives. Let's give out some. Let's give some love here. We're give some MVP points. P, who's your first MVP of the season? Uh, first MVP has to be Ahsoka Tano. Um, a lot of growth, a lot of maturity, and honestly, I, I applaud her for leaving the Jedi Order and not wanting to come back. You know, the Jedi had their kind of twil- tail between their legs going, oh, you know, we were wrong. You can come back. And I, I do not blame her at all to be like, nope, sorry. If you don't trust me, I don't trust you. I'm done. So MVP point for her. I think I'm going to I'm going to go right there with you. going to give one to Ahsoka again. She's did a good job in Onderarn. She does she does a lot of good work and the legwork of trying to prove her innocence. And she gives the critical information to Anakin that he's able to find Barris and get her off the hook here. Plus. She does a good job, like sheltering the younglings here through the through the young the pirate situation. So points for me there, Nick. First out MVP for you. Same. Also, Ahsoka. I just feel like watching her now. I feel like I'm watching a more mature woman. I'm watching a really well thought out and drawn out character. I'm not watching a whiny teenager anymore. And like I'm root, I'm rooting for her when I'm when I'm watching her, and I and I I respect her. Yeah. And that's a big plus three for Ahsoka. Now it's plus four overall. So she's closing in on, that, on the leaderboard here. Let's go now back to Pete. Pete, who's your next MVP of the season? I'm going to give the next MVP to Darth Maul. Um, huge story point around Darth Maul. Gains leadership of Mandalore. Gains the leadership of all these black market and underground gangs. Um, even though he's a Sith, big player in this season. So he gets an MVP point. Nick, how about you? Uh, same. And I do want to point out, I don't want to sound annoying, but I feel like there's, depth, there's no way that I can say this without sounding extremely annoying. We have to refer to him as Maul from now on, not Darth Maul. True. Because he is no longer part of that. But True. But um, he, he's awesome. This character was awesome in episode one. You know, I mentioned this before, like when we were all 10 years old and he turned on his lightsaber and two-sided, we're all going crazy in the movie theater, but he didn't have any lines. He wasn't a character. He was just a really cool looking guy. Yep. Now he's a character and he's really good at it. He's a badass. 
He doesn't take any crap from anybody. And like he, you know, he just challenges his love, dominates him. And uh, the also interesting thing, I know Mike, we discussed this already. Pete, I don't know if you noticed, Pre Vizsla is voiced by John Favreau. Oh, no. Which is, that was his first step into the Star Wars universe. So maybe give it a listen again and you go back and see yeah. if you can pick it up. Yeah, I also will say, to back up your points here, I'm not giving him all an MVP, but will, he was on my honorable mention list. Because, again, he also owns Obi-Wan completely during this season because he basically like punks him on the on the first planet with a, where Hondo has to save his bacon. And then the second one, he kills the teen and says, I'm going to make you live with it and live with the fact that you had to watch the, like, the woman you love die at my hand and sit there and suffer. I think that, like, he did a good job getting his revenge there. Yeah, he mentally played with him. Yeah. All right. My first MVP, my next MVP point, I'm giving it to Palpatine. Just because Palpatine, we don't get much of him. But at the end of that Mandalore arc, we see that scene he, from across the galaxy. He sends his Darth Balls up to something. Gets out a ship, flies to Mandalore, kicks their ass, kills Savage and basically tortures Maul to submission and saying, you are not a threat to me. You're alive and I'm letting you be alive, like Pete said. So complete ownership of the situation. Palpatine just asserts why he is the Sith master and he gets a point from me. He gets my third point too. Same here. Yeah. So yeah. same reasons you mentioned, Mike, pretty much. it's He's showing why that this entire Clone War... It's orchestrated by him. He's a mastermind. He can battle too. He's not just the brains. He's also can prove it on the on the battlefield, if you will. Then all around a fantastic character in Star Wars, and we didn't get much of it, enough of it in the show, and now we are. Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good job there. And I think I have my I still have one to go here. I'm gonna try and be a little different here because I'm trying I thought for me about giving one to the younglings as a group for helping save Ahsoka from the pirates and also pointing out to Anakin when he's about to get killed by by Varys in the finale. But I'm not going to give the younglings a point just because I don't want to give them credit for that arc. I'm giving Bo-Katan a point for being smart enough not to bend the knee of Darth Maul. I think knowing that, like, hey, this is not going to work out well for me. I'm getting out of here. I'm giving her the Maul. point for that. Not Darth Maul. Maul. It's hard. It's so hard. <laughs> You know, it's like you know him as Darth Maul your whole life as a kid. It's like Darth Maul. It's just like, uh, but you're right. His Wookiee, his Wikipedia page is not Darth Maul. It's Maul. You're right. All right. So take a lot of training. Call Mr. Maul from now on. Mr. Maul. I like that. Sir Maul. Sir, Sir Maul. Yeah. Yeah. We knighted him. God. Yeah. So anyway, so I'll give Bo Katan the point. I'll give Bo Katan the point because I want to get her on the board. I feel like that was. A good job on her part to get the hell out of there and get some troops and not just fall in line with Maul. Mm -hmm. All right, now the fun begins. The so a quick question before you get to the LVPs. Just, just I know it's this has nothing to do with anything. This is really just a matter of how old the actress is and whatnot. How old do you guys think Bo-Katan is in, in these Clone Wars episodes? I would guess about 20. I think younger, to be honest with you. Okay. I think probably like 16. If you, I saw, I saw a meme about this. <laughs> yeah, because she's like about thirty-five in Mandalorian, and it's like, how many years of a difference? Uh, isn't it like crazy years difference? It's, isn't it like uh, fifty one, years? It's Nineteen plus five. I think it's about thirty years. So thirty years. So if she's thirty in in, even if she's twenty in Clone Wars, she's fifty in Mandalorian. She's not look fifty. Yeah, she looks late thirties probably. Yeah, max, That's like what, absolute max. So I feel like she's like probably like fifteen, sixteen in the show. I guess. 
I mean, you have to put I it. I mean, there. I can, I can, I can tell you guys right now. Oh yeah, well we have, we have the power of the internet. I'm a one click away. Bo Katan. You know what? I can't tell you. <laughs> it's not listed. <laughs> yeah, I say that's why I said it's a good it's a good question because they because because if otherwise Bo-Katan live action looks the way she does. You know, thirty years later, thirty five years later, she's got to be a teenager in the show. Yeah, for it to be chronologically correct. Yeah, I would think so because I mean, I felt like Prey Vizsla was like significantly older than her. Yeah, it was uh, it definitely definitely a meme I saw somewhere. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Shouldn't she be like 50 if that's the case? Like, it was very it was very eye opening. The best source I can find is IGN says we assume she's in her early 20s in the Clone Wars. That is, which would make her in her early 50s. So yeah. Mandalorian, which they dropped the ball on that real quick. But I mean, they 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 matched the character model pretty well when it came to a live action actress. But yeah, and it was the same actress, which was nice. Right. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. damn. Yeah, and K- she's only 41. Yeah, the actress. Yeah, because Katie Sackhoff voiced her in, in Clone Wars, and then they right. brought her back in, in live action. Which has got to be cool. It's yeah. got to be really cool to come in. I, right. The girl who did Ahsoka would have been nice to see her too as Ahsoka, but it just wouldn't look right. She looks nothing like the character. Like Rosario Dawson was perfect for that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, 100%. All right. Now let's go to the LVPs. Which characters had awful seasons? Nick, I will start with you. Give me your first LVP. So my first is the writers. And you talked about this, I want to say, in season three. Yep. And my reason is, I mentioned earlier when I was talking about the number of episodes, we had 20 episodes in this season, and eight of those episodes were for droids and younglings. The 12 other episodes, I think, were all fantastic. But yet eight episodes that I was sitting there, where I didn't want to watch them. Yep. I'm like, why am I doing this? This is like, you know, I'm going to text Mike and tell him I'm not doing this season for the podcast, you know? <laughs> yeah. And they put them back to back, too. Yeah, that's a long time to go without interesting content. Yeah. It's, I mean, if you're watching this on TV, that's eight weeks. That's two months. Yeah, that's not good. All right. Uh, Pete, your first LVP. Um, I'm I'm going to go with Nick. I think our LVPs are going to match up. Nick and I from our MVPs matching up. Uh, I'm going to go with the Riders as well. And also Cartoon Network as a whole for canceling it after this, after this season. <laughs> hey, they may cancel it because of that freaking two-month stretch of crap content. I mean, who knows? But um, – yeah, it has to be with production and with the writers. It, too many fillers. Figure out something to to draw out those more major important arcs. There's a lot of lore out there. There's a lot of characters out there that you could make useful, and they just went for the fanfare of, hey, look, a droid. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I opened the door of the writers, and now they are one point ahead of Zero and, and, and Investigator Douche for the bottom of the list. So. I do just want to say, based on just a quick... Google search, a little bit of information. It looks like Cartoon Network did not have anything to do with the cancellation. It was Lucasfilm and Disney. Oh. And I think I think I'm I mean, obviously I don't know, but I think I'm right about what I said, where I think they're just they were trying to move away from prequel era content. It makes sense. It's kinda it's kinda similar to like when I think I what's the best example of this is like I don't know, like you guys were probably too young for the Power Ranger Phenom when you were like when I was a kid. It's like they worship the original version on the brand like that's like every time they do is we have to get back to that we have like there's comic books of it they, they tried to reboot into a movie like nothing else matters for them in terms of besides the original like show which i get this is sort of like different things i was like a star wars much bigger deal in the cultural zeitgeist but same kind of phenomenon yeah i really wish that didn't happen because when do we plan on doing our movie ranking anyway uh july 
I, I've been I've been writing my arguments up already. All right, let's go. I'm gonna start off here. I'm gonna get, give you the easy one right away. I was debating between Mebar, Gascon, and Whack for the LEP. I gave it to Gascon just because the character is supposed to be some sort of military genius. He spends the entire arc either saying, I'm Mebard Gascon, be the greatest general in the history of the Republic, or he's looking for food. He is not a brilliant play at all. R2-D2 saves his bacon the entire arc. He is useless, and it pisses me off in no end that the clone had to die so he could live. So, LVP to Gascon. Um, I went to the droids. Pretty much the same reason I just mentioned. I, I can't with these arcs with the droids. And I, I think... Think the droid arcs are over? I think we, we hope. I, I, I'm pretty sure. I'm over fifty percent sure that the droid arcs are over. So that's good. But I can't. I can't sit through even two episodes. It's just the droid when there's no one talking. When I'm I, when I'm watching it and I'm like, I know I don't need to pay attention to this episode, and I'm pausing it every two minutes to see how much farther in the episode I have to go before it's over. I just I'm happy that's over. P, who's your second LVP? So. I, I was struggling between the droids and Colonel Bullfrog. Um, <laughs> I, I like I, at least the Colonel spoke, and you know the whack droid did too. So like I, I'm, I'm gonna have to go with the droids, like Nick saying, only because I'm tired of the arcs. And granted, that could fall on the writers as well, but like I, they add no sort of content. That's meaningful. They add entertainment. I'll I'll put it there, right? So the whack droid hysterical with his dry slapstick kind of humor. Hysterical, I'm putting lightly because of the context of the show. There's nothing that sits there and is making me laugh out loud for an hour. But it has to has to be the droids. Yeah, so we've done a lot of work on the droid arc. I'm gonna start and push us in a different direction here. My second point. I'm gonna take one off of Obi-Wan here because he had a terrible season because Darth Maul runs circles around him. He has his Jedi partner killed when he goes on the mission in episode one, try and catch him. Duchess Satine gets killed. He basically walks right into a track. He's not he's thinking emotionally, not logically. Obi-Wan get, loses a point for me because he had a very, very bad season. You're kicking him when he's down. Let the guy breathe a little bit, huh? <laughs> like, everyone around him's getting killed, and you're giving him minus points in your LVP. He had a bad season. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, Dan Anderson season on top of that, too. Yeah. I mean, he was barely in it. When he was there, he was not good. Like, Anakin I, was not I mean, there, but, like... No, there was no, like... He was there, but, like, he wasn't adding anything to it. That's what I meant. Like, not actually on screen. Yeah, I mean, he's he's in a handful of episodes, and he gets his, right. his, his lunch hand to him every one. So my last LVP includes Obi-Wan, I guess, but it's the Jedi Council. And it's because of their obvious lack of trust, lack of vision, lack of sensing, which you'd never thought you'd say with a Jedi. But yeah, they they can they're continuing to show more and more throughout the show that Anakin Skywalker can't be blamed. Almost, I mean, he could be blamed for slaughtering you know how many people he did and younglings and whatnot, and the women and the children, as we all know in Episode Two. But he's really it's really like getting harder and harder to blame him for turning to the dark side when he did. And that was the entire point of the prequel trilogy. A lot of people didn't like that. A lot of older Star Wars fans didn't like that you humanize the character. He's supposed to be like a 
all bad kind of person. But I think the ending in episode six, when he turns good, kind of shows you, well, this guy must have been good to start with. I want to see the backstory and how he turned bad. And, and the humanizing the character, I think, was a good thing. Showing you that Vader is not in that costume thinking about evil and destruction all the time. He's suffering in there, too. Yeah, I'm going to go right there with you and give up and dock the council a point because their performance this season was pretty pitiful. I mean, the fact that you said we had this argument earlier about like how they not sense that Barris was a traitor when they were when she was right there in the temple with them. Now she's off on another planet plotting this. Like the fact they don't believe Ahsoka, they're very stubborn, they're very high on their horse, and you understand why they're going to get their comeuppance in episode three. So they're getting the second final LVP, LVP point. So Pete, where are you going to wrap this up? So I, I went more specific. I am very disappointed in Yoda. Yoda is going to get my LVP. He is supposed to be the most powerful Jedi at that time. Granted, Anakin is also arguably the most powerful Jedi. But for Yoda to be like, yeah, I think you did it too. We're just going to kick you off, even though I have no clue. Like, he was always the voice of reason in my mind, especially during the episodes. Even when, like, Mace Windu had to be, like, the bad guy and say, like, we don't want you around. Like, at least Yoda would be like, give him a chance or, like, whatever. For some reason, Yoda just, like, copped out. He was like, yep, I believe him. You, you probably did it. Doesn't look good, so bye. Like, it just, I think the Jedi Council has been negative from the start. I don't think I've ever heard, even from the movies, a positive thing come out of the Jedi Council. It's always talking about something and then disappointing someone from their decision. If you think about it, like just from all the arcs the Jedi Council's in, in anything, Yoda was usually that voice of reason. I'm, you know, the all-knowing. So he gets the LVP point because I kind of expected the Jedi Council to act that way. Okay, so that's a that's a fair point. So we'll we'll close that out, and the board will be updated next time we do the show for season six. And season ranking-wise, I think we can all agree the current board is up here. Season four is on the top. Season two and three are tied for second. We're going to have to break that tie eventually. Then season one, then the movie. I think we're unanimous here. Season five is going to the top. Yeah, absolutely. Which is amazing, considering, as Nick has said, 4% of the episodes are complete garbage. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's going to stay on the top, but I know for a fact that six and seven are not going to be low on our list. Yeah. We're not going We're not going down to the depths of one of the movie. No, 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 no. We're <laughs> not even, probably, probably above two and three, too. Yeah. So that'll be an interesting spot to see where these land down the line. And before we get to our season six, like teaser here, I'll spend a few minutes on bad batch. We're not going episode by episode on it because honestly, there's not really anything to go episode to episode on because the plot is so meandering. I think for me, the, the premiere was fantastic. We talked about it's been a letdown for me since then, because they came out firing. It's at a nine. All this stuff is great. And then we got, I mean, aside from Crosshair's plot in episode three, there's nothing really, like, super engaging here. I mean, they try to give you a cameo that, oh, Fennec Shand is here. Oh, here's Jabba's Rancor. Nothing really sticks with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I said this when we talked about this last month. I was afraid that this show was going to be a group of mercenaries protecting a Force-sensitive being from the Empire because that's what the Mandalorian was, and I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah, Pete. I think I think she's force sensitive. I think she's a clone of Palpatine. I showed you guys some picture. I don't know if you have that picture, Mike. If you can get it in the editing and toss it up. If you can't, whatever. Someone else. It's on listening. It's if you on. Can't the, find that picture. It's on the internet. Google it. Yeah, it's on the internet. Google Palpatine and Omega. You'll see it. I think she's a clone of Palpatine. But either way, this is the Mandalorian part two, but not as good. Yeah, Pete. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree 100% with Nick. I was just about to say this has a lot of Mandalorian vibes. Um, you know, I think the 
I'll be honest with you. I think season two, of the Mandalorian got saved by all the cameos of all these important characters that got us like excited, right? I feel like if all those characters in Mandalorian season two didn't happen, we had some good story arcs, but just it's again, just like go do a job, get paid. Where's the kid need to go? Okay, the kid needs to go here. This is more like, well, we need to figure out what's going on, but now we have this annoying kid with us and we have to be sensitive that we have a kid here and she's off doing what she wants to do and all this stuff. I, I hope it picks up. I hope it's not one of those setup seasons, right? Where it's almost like season one of the Clone Wars, where it just has to set up what's going on and then it'll get better later on because that'll make me lose interest in the show. I'll probably continue it for season to season if they keep getting re-upped seasons. But this is something that is getting me very disappointed. It's like, okay, we've seen this before. This is very cookie cutter Star Wars series right now because the first Star Wars series we have is Mandalorian. And they literally took that and they made a bad batch, just the clones that didn't agree with or 66. Right. So uh, I hope it goes somewhere. I hope that these are all set up episodes. I hope it's not like a 13 episode season where, or a 10 episode season where over half of them are just crap. Just like, Hey, watch us walk around and do random things for money. We'll see. Yeah. Two problems. I, tr- I, yeah. I trust that it will turn out. There'll be some big reveal or a return. I trust something will happen. Don't know when, but I trust something will happen. Right. Yeah, there's two problems I've seen so far. I think number one is like the, the difference between this and Mando, as far as at least you had some character development for Mando. Like these, the main clones, like the ones, like the Bad Batch, like Nick, if they changed it all from episode one to episode five so far, they felt the exact same. Well, I think only Hunter has shown a little bit of uh, of a change, but the other ones are the other ones are like what's the word I'm looking for. They're like. They, the model, the staple gang. You have the muscle, the brains, the leader. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they just, and the muscle, yeah. all he knows is being the muscle, and that's it. You yeah. don't see anything. I do think Hunter's had a little bit of development, but not much. I mean, like, they, they are basically the same. Even Crosshairs is just like, just tactical, like, ruthless. Like, that's all he is. Yeah. I, I want to say a point here that I, I think is definitely true, and it's kind of want to reiterate it here. When you wake up, on Friday mornings, or, and you know there's an episode out there of Mandalorian. You're excited to watch it. You know, I don't know if you work from home and you can watch it, or if you're out on the day and you can get it. You know, or you can watch it at night, whenever you do. You're excited to watch it. I don't know about you, Pete, but I know me and Mike were interested in WandaVision and Falcon Winter Soldier. I don't know if you watch those too, but like when those came out, I'm excited to watch the episode. I, tomorrow, I'm going to be like, oh, there's a bad batch I have to watch. I don't even want to watch it. It's like, you know, it- <laughs> Could we call it recency bias? And the reason why I say that is because we're so like Clone Wars is getting so good that we're watching two animated series about clones. And this is just like the poorer version of the Clone Wars right now, story wise. Like, yeah. I-, I wonder, like, I agree with you 100%. I'm not sitting there going, oh, yay, Bad Batch. I'm going, okay, I got to watch Bad Batch for the podcast, right? That's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, but I'll be completely honest yeah. with you. But I wonder if we weren't taking in all this Star Wars content that was good. Right. Yes, we have the droid arc that's crap and we have like the only thing. But like, let's say we're not taking in all this Star Wars, honestly, nostalgia story arcs that are like hitting home for us, like seeing Maul and and understanding Bo-Katan with with Mandalorian. I wonder if we weren't consuming all of that, if Bad Batch would be a little bit more exciting to be watching. I think I I don't know, but but it's right now it's pure crap. I think season premiere. Yeah. So. I yeah, think the premiere, the premiere was great. I don't want to take that. I don't want to yeah, make no. sure all the audience understands that we think that the premiere was fantastic. Yeah. The premiere was like literally like if it was a movie, 
it'd be a fantastic movie. Like, mm-hmm. I think it was really good. But the issue I have here is, like, obviously, like, I only think like, if we did the casual watch and we just, like, gone from Mandalorian to this or the next thing we watched, we still would have issues with it because, I mean, like... Absolutely. To be honest, I mean, do you see anywhere mainstream keeping track of this thing? Like, no, no because, like, like, every episode of Mandalorian, there's, there's something on the internet, like, what happened here? Who was this? What's going on here with Grogu? You don't get like these kind of interest in Bad Batch, whether it's put, put it this way. I'm very big on Reddit. I, I go on Instagram all the time. I don't really post on Instagram or anything like that, but I'm on, you know, all the time. I follow tons of Star Wars things on Instagram and Reddit and this and that. And a lot of times I'd wake up on Friday morning and back in the fall and I'd scroll my phone, as I think everyone does, the first thing you do when you wake up, and I would see all this Mandalorian stuff and I go, oh, oh, I gotta close this. I didn't watch the episode yet. Now, I don't even realize until like hours in and I go, oh, that must have been from the Bad Batch episode. And this past episode with the Rancor, I didn't finish it till yesterday. Yeah. It took me that long to watch it. I started it. I had to leave or whatever. And I didn't even, I was like, oh, it's only 10 minutes left. And I'm like, yeah, I'll watch it. I'll watch it. And then yesterday I'm like, I got to do this podcast. I got to watch this now. So I finished it. Yeah. The other problem I have here, this is number two issue here. I think that they are a little too worried about trying to shove in references to other things right now, as opposed to letting these characters be the story. And if you want to make a show about them, this is not Clone Wars, where, you know, we can have Anakin drop out for five episodes and then tell a different story. If you, if these guys are your guys, and they're going to be in every episode, we can't have every episode being, here's Fennec Shan. Here's the clone from Clone Wars who defected and found a family. Here's the Brancor. We, we need to let these guys be the stars of the show and not be trying to twist different canon things in every chance we get. We do need Rex, though, in this show. Yeah, like, Rex is one thing, but, like, there's, every episode there's something trying to tie into the main universe in some way. Yeah, there like, is, and they're not, they're not giving their chance, they're not giving the characters a fair chance to develop. I think, I think Star Wars, and correct me if I'm wrong, is notorious for how do we connect it to the old school fan? Yeah. Not, we're going to make something brand new, because let's be honest, the old school fan is always going to say something about the brand new stuff and say, well, this is not canon, this is not the way it's supposed to be, they should be connected to this. Um, not every old school fan, but I, I feel like a lot of the times when you go see like even the new trilogy, right? Not the greatest trilogy, but there was a lot of problems with it where it came to canon and, and story instead of just like allowing new characters to just be new characters. There was there, there was like, well, how is it all connected? Yeah. The new series is, is, a, is, a, is a dumpster fire. But but anyway, neither, neither here nor there. I don't know if Disney is comfortable with saying this is a Star Wars show. That has nothing to do with making sure we have cameos. There might be, but this is about these four or five men, right? And I feel like they had to throw the force sensitive child in because, like, well, it's Star Wars. How are you not going to have someone that knows the force, right? Like, I just, I feel like a lot of it's forced because mm-hmm. they're like, well, we have to tie it in somehow. Like, no, you don't. You can make something that's standalone that's happening in the same time. It doesn't have to tie into every single little thing. It's it's similar to Maul being in Solo. Like I appreciate it. I thought it was cool, and I, and that kind of made people realize who didn't watch the shows. Like maybe you guys realize this because you had to watch the shows. Like that was like, oh, maybe those shows are to be taken seriously, kind of thing. You know what I mean? And that was a cool aspect. But he was completely forced into that movie, and more, and especially I mentioned this earlier. He put his lightsaber on for no reason. He just turns it on and so go, oh, he has a lightsaber because because every Star Wars movie to that point had a lightsaber in it. So it's just like, oh, there's one. Like yeah. you don't, you didn't need to do that. It was completely forced to connect things. To to be fair with Maul though, 
Maul was sort of sense. like a throw-in. He was really at the complete end of the He might have even been post-credits. I'm not sure. Was that was that post-credits? It, it wasn't post-credit, but it was at the end. And I do know that Ron Howard, who directed the movie, like threw that in in the last like minute. I believe Kathleen Kennedy made him put that in there because he she wanted some sort of connection. And I appreciate that. Not the biggest Kathleen Kennedy fan, but I do appreciate that, that she did understand that he wanted some sort of connection. Because even though it was only for 30 seconds... That was a jaw-dropping moment in Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, even like that, again, that's 30 seconds at the end of the movie. It's not even tied to the main plot. We spent the entire episode of this getting Jabba's Rancor. Yeah. Did they confirm? Is it the same one? We they, know, right? But they're, they're, saying, they're saying no, but like, could you argue it? I mean, we, we, we're going to nitpick the Rancor's name. We've only met one Rancor before, right? And it dies. Yeah. I mean, like, we did this, we had the, like, we can't, these characters need to be able to stay on their own, otherwise the show does not work. Yeah, you need to let them develop on their own without relying on Jabba's Rancor. Yeah, I mean, I mean the Mandalorian season one, right? How many huge cameos do you see in season one of Mandalorian? The, the Darksaber, that's it. The, and that's for someone who, like, that's is not a, even That's not even a character. That's, that's right. an object. That's someone who's watched the Clone Wars, which a lot of people only watch the movies and they saw all oh, live yeah. action Star Wars. Let me watch it. And they probably don't even understand the Darksaber. That was me and Mike. And then that's, that's why we're here. Thing, Right. Exactly. So, like, why not just it, make season two full of cameos like they did with with Mandalorian, but at least give these guys some structure. Maybe make it shorter, too. I, I believe this is going to be like a 20 to 22 episode season. 16. 16. Maybe if it was 10 or 8, we'd get a little... Ooh, more packed in there, kind of the opposite of Falcon Winter Soldier. We talked about that one, Mike, off the air. That's yeah. ridiculous. That show ended well, halfway, halfway through the episode. I go, wait, is this the last episode? And it yeah. just ended. And I go, that was the whole show? Yeah. Yeah, I think also, it's like, I think you can do it, do the cameos, but they have to make sense to the plot. Whereas, mm -hmm. like, Tarkin makes sense because he's tied to the clones being shut down, and he's the one who's basically sending Crosshair after them. Him makes, having him makes sense. But bringing in the Rancor bringing in Fennec just for shits and giggles. Like it doesn't like it doesn't do anything for us. I'm hoping the show gets better, but at this point I'm like, is this one where like, it's not appointment television on Friday morning. Like Mandalorian was these might be fillers. This might be pure clone war esque fillers where it's like, we have a really good plot point coming up. That's going to take 10 episodes, but we need six episodes just to catch your eye. Yeah. Just, yeah. Fill. you know, like it might very well be that. It's a very good point. It's, I don't know if this is what you meant, Pete, when you said this earlier, but like how we said, we were like, you said based on the bias of watching the Clone Wars and stuff, but imagine us watching Clone Wars live and doing this podcast, let's say each week after each episode, like Mike, you did with the Mandalorian with a, with a, a whole bunch of different guests. These episodes, imagine watching it like that. It's similar to like how we watch the Clone Wars like that. If we watch the Clone Wars like that, we'd be coming on here like there's another droid episode. Yeah, for two months, think, we'd be shot. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, yeah. So it, it could just be really similar to that. That's why we're not doing it weekly because that's why I'm sort of like seeing in chunks like what happens here. And I think that's the big issue is like what happens with, okay, we have stuff going on with the droids, with like – with the with the with the clones themselves, and I think the issue is just you know it's a matter of I think they're trying to build to something. They are dropping hints of certain things, but at the same time, what's going on is that these guys just don't have enough runway to just be compelling by themselves. Yep, I, I agree. 
Yeah, and Nick is having some technical issues at the moment, so I'm going to filibuster here because I think... I'm frozen. <laughs> yeah, he has completely frozen, so I'm going to just stall for a moment here, let him to see if he can hop back into this thing, but I think right now the question... Uh, he has hopped out for a moment, but I think Season 6 coming up here, just so the podcast audience knows, we're going to be... Come back quicker with that. It's a shorter run. We're going to be back in about two weeks. I'm going to do Loki premiere coverage next week, and then... I. Obviously, I think that show, Sandro, is coming on next week to do the recap of that of the premiere. We're going to do season six. We're going to do season seven again in a couple of weeks. And then we're going to do the long-waiting movie rankings. So that's going to be fun. Similar to the Marvel Cinematic Universe format. Yeah, so I actually have to go back and I'm just going to rewatch episodes one through six because I kind of already remember episodes seven, eight, and nine ranking-wise and why I rank them that way. So I'm probably going to do like maybe one movie a week or a weekend just so by July around that time, I could, I could be ready for it. Um, I don't, I, my rankings are interesting, Mike. I think we talked about this before, back when we were like on campus at Iona, my rankings are going to definitely be interesting. Yeah. It's going to be a fun exercise. Similar to what we did for the Marvel podcast, where we have a bunch of people send in their lists and we'll have more people for this because more people have seen every star Wars movie compared to all 23 Marvel movies. So be including rogue one and yes. solo as well into this. Yeah. And the clone wars film we watched. And the clone, well, that's, we know what number 12 is. We know what number 12 is for sure, dude. For yeah. sure, we know what number 12 is. Oh, it's such a bad movie. Like, I wonder if it was just like we talked about it. I wonder if it was just so bad because they knew it was just going to be consumed by kids. Yeah. It was just, Screw it. We don't care. Yeah. Well, I think in terms of that, if the movie ranking is going to be fun when we get there. But we, Nick is now back with us. We are talking about season six coming up. The Lost Missions is, is the subtitle here. Nick, what we have to look forward to here? So this season is pretty good. It's it's pretty good. The the animation, I believe, takes another step forward, which we thought at this point, we're like, wow, that's pretty impressive. It's gotten pretty good, right? Yeah. And the only problem with this one, it has nothing to do with anything we've just watched. There's no mall. There's no Bo-Katan. There's no Mandalore. There's no Darksaber. There's, I don't think there's any Ahsoka. This season is just complete out of left field, just random episodes that don't have anything to do with it. There's a few arcs. The arcs are good, though, which is why this season is pretty cool. You know, we have an, an arc with, with the clone. We have a, a Padme. What was her friend? Rush Corvus. Yep. He comes back. We see some clones. And then Yoda has a very big arc at the end of the season where I think he's like the only character in it that we, like, that we know of. And it's a great, very important arc at the end of the season. So although you don't really see a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about, and it kind of just throws out of left field, and it's like, well, where'd that come from? It is pretty good. Yeah, I think also part of it is just the fact that, like, these are ones they just produced and before Disney pulled the plug on it. And then uh, it's yeah. kind of left with these 13 episodes. The lost hold, missions. Yeah, they were just left holding the bag, these 13 episodes. You know, we'll just put them on Netflix because people watch it, and they just dumped them on just to get them out there. I have to say, though, I kind of like the idea of taking a season where it really has nothing to do with what we watched the first five. And the reason why I say that is because Ahsoka Tano is gone. She left, right? Yeah. So it's like life after Ahsoka Tano, life after Mandalore is lost to Maul. So I think it's cool to have like a season off. It's only 13 episodes. Let's call it a half a season off. And then all of a sudden, boom, we're back right into it. Like, hey, we're, we're coming back. I'm, I'm hoping. Um, I actually don't mind it. I don't mind it at all. And, you know... Take it to you this way. If this was a regular 22 episode, 22 episode long season, it would it would work. 
right? Just think of these as the filler missions that the filler episodes that you probably would have gotten the season anyway. Yeah. I can only imagine too. Like I want to know what drawers are that got cut. That was going to be made for the season. You know, they had one in the works. If you want to go there, (laughs) let's not put it out there in the ether. Let's not talk about it. I'm sorry, Mike. I missed what you just said. What was that? Is there a droid arc? I said I'm sure there was a droid arc that was in the works. They didn't end up animating. So I'm oh, sure. I'm 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 completely sure about that. But trust me, these episodes are they're they're not as I mentioned. They have nothing to do with. It. They're good episodes, though. They're fun. And and Pete, as you said, like we, we take a little break and then go back. Bang. We definitely go back. Bam. Because season seven, the last four episodes are like the greatest four episodes that I've ever watched in animated television. Absolutely. It's a good place to wrap it up here. I thank you guys for coming on. You'll get a chance to plug social media. Pete, how can you follow us on Twitter if they want to keep up with you? At PJ Considori 29 I retweet these podcasts so you can see them. A lot of Rangers stuff, a lot of hockey stuff. Um, if your softball team has a Twitter, I'll retweet some stuff there too. <laughs> yeah, and Nick has Twitter, but he's not ready to reveal it publicly yet. But if you leave your handles in the YouTube comments here, he will follow you. I will. I will also be revealing soon. Soon. We do not maybe, know. Maybe after season seven. We are debating this. Like Nick has not decided yet. He is toying with the idea. And then once we do reveal, there'll be some retweets similar to what Pete does. We're doing softball. the same. So a, lot of, a lot of softball stuff, too. You know, we'll tweet out the lineup every night, stuff like ah, that. That's, that's cool. It'll give you some in, inside information. Yeah. All right. Thanks. We'll, we'll let you know the stats after the game. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, it was a lot of fun. Can't wait to be back. All right, and that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guests, Dan Federica, for calling in to talk about the Yankee season, what we're looking at so far. Be a lot of interesting stuff going on there. I also want to thank the Sky Guys, Nick Freda, Pete Considori, for doing another deep dive into the Clone Wars. And remember, we're going to have not one, but two Sky Guys mirrors in the next month. Season six coming up soon. Season seven and wrapping up Clone Wars after that. It's going to be a lot of fun with the Clone Wars stuff as well. Remember, because I like this podcast, including my look at what the Knicks need to do to improve after their loss to the Hawks in the playoffs. Check out the blog or just send this out rain.wordpress.com. Go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Still search for Just End the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform. You'll find all episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and star rings as well. That make the podcast even better going, going forward. You can follow my YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. You can find our individual conversations there, including my chat with Dan will be up there, and the Sky Guys video will be up there as well. Includes with some spiffy new graphics for the video version on YouTube. I recommend you check that out. We had a lot of fun with that. You also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that will do it for this week's podcast. Coming up next week on the show, we have a lot of fun stuff coming up here. We're going to talk about the U.S. Open golf. I mean, that's coming up next week. At Pebble Beach is a fun. Talk the premiere of Loki and more. So I hope you have a better week than Orioles fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.